Warning. The Top Top Podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Please be aware that this episode will contain spoilers for the entirety of Vandred and Vandred A Second Stage, as well as some other anime, so please be careful if you haven't finished them. And lastly, the views and opinions expressed by the participants of this episode do not reflect those of the Duck Talk podcast as a whole. Enjoy the show. The Internet. The Final Frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Dub Talk. It's five-year mission to review English dubs for anime both new and ancient. And to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. To all our viewers, thank you for sticking with us these past five years. And remember, always use protection when you're feeding your giant robots. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, where a group of prisoners get picked up by pirates and go on a long maiden space voyage where we occasionally talk about English dubs for anime. I'm your pilot Jet, and I'm joined tonight by our ship's Dr. Roots. Piercing the heavens with my Roots, this is for children! <laughs> and our butt monkey, I mean our helmsman, Andrew. Why is everybody gotta be mean to me? I just want to be cool, and I want to get girls too. I, I'll shave my head off. It's cool. Then I'll be cool once I shave my head off. Yeah, and uh, we're here to talk about the 2000, and I mean like literally the year 2000, Gonzo Mecha Show Vandred. Uh, if you have God, it's been 20 years. It's, this is going, this is definitely a bit of a anniversary project, so to speak. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's like, uh, that's like, uh, yes, uh, this is my anniversary episode. I was originally going to do uh, another show called Jingu Secret of the Solo Wars, but I couldn't get enough people for that, so I... Opted for this instead. It's it's a mix of you couldn't get enough people for that, and I'm not going to lie, I I was kind of impressed that most of the anime veterans in the Dub Talk podcast were genuinely like, "What the fuck is this show?" <laughs> like, hey, uh, the- I had honestly never heard of it until you brought yeah, it up. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, yeah, uh, it is funny. Uh, it is funny you mentioned that because uh, how I personally discovered this show. You see, way back in the day when I was but a young weeb, uh, one of the ways in which I would discover new anime was through Comcast On Demand, where they had an anime section and I would like occasionally watch their stuff, and sometimes I would pass it off of a couple of my friends who were really into anime. Um, so one of these shows I bounced off my friends, one of my friends was the aforementioned Shingu Chica of the Seven Wars, and one of these shows he bounced off to me was Vandred. And when when he described Vandred, now when he described Vandred to me, he made it sound a lot skeevier than it actually was. And me being and me being a dumb teenage boy, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. 
so do I. <laughs> um, so I went to check this show out, and I was like, okay, this actually isn't as creepy as I thought it was going to be, but, like, this is still pretty fun. So I watched the show, I was like, that was neat. And then a couple of years later, I was, like, going through an F... I was going to my local FYE. I saw they had a copy of this, and I was like, oh, hey, I remember this show. So I went back through it, uh, enjoyed it the second time, and it's just kind of been a little thing I get back to every now and then. Now, um... I... One other little piece of backstory for this. Um, there's a reason that a certain someone is on this episode. Why don't you recount the tale there, Jet? Say, oh, yeah, so the reason Andrew is here on this episode is that I actually gave him a copy of this show, like, kind of I don't remember how many years ago it was. It was, uh, okay, I think it was two or three Christmases ago. Yeah, that's what I like that. But it was, it might have, it might have been one of the earlier like dub talk secret Santas we did. I, it was either it was either the first or the second one. I think I was I was like a senior in college at the, at the time. I remember that actually. Uh, you gave me Van Dread as well as uh, Gatchaman Crowd season one Blu-ray. I think. Oh yeah. But yeah, I've always had Vandred on my shelf, just as a kind of, oh, neat, thinking, wonder what the hell I'm ever going to get around to checking this out. And then when you said that you were reworking your Dub Talk 5th anniversary project episode, um, you changed it to Vandred, and I was like, you know what? That thing's part of my collection. It's not a huge collection, but I've been working pretty adamantly to make it a decent collection. Might as well fucking watch it. And watch it, I did. This is a far... Far... Tame? Okay, I'm gonna say this in quotation mark and question point. Tamer? show than I think I was expecting. Because as you were saying, this has the setup and the aesthetic, like the early 2000s, like, raunchy rom-com harem art design and aesthetic where you're like, this is gonna be tits flopping all over the place. It's really not. It's... Considering the tame, the the premise is basically battle of the sexes, and then it's just a group of sexes just kind of hanging out together as pirates, charting the globe, the galaxy. It's a. I wouldn't really say wholesome, but it's a much more serious, more dramatic, but also kind of more like fun, cute, wholesome, shonen space epic than I was anticipating. And honestly, I'm just here because giant robots are cool. You, you, you got giant robots. I don't know if they're, they're, you, not, they're you, not very... You did get giant robots. Yes, yeah, so you did get, you did get giant robots. So I can, <laughs> I was like, yeah, people I can say, you, you, you got giant robots. Uh, you can't say much more than that, but you did get giant robots. Jet promised me giant robots. Uh, Vandred delivered. Get, you did get very polygonal, sharp-edged 2000s giant robots. Uh, right up there with the cars <laughs> from the initial season one. 
Deja vu. I just feel it a taste before. I love the PlayStation 2 era. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, 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 see, okay, here's what it is. Season 2, probably early PlayStation 2. Season 1, oh, that's like mid PlayStation 1. Uh, yeah. That was rough. <laughs> uh, anyway, I should probably get to saying what this show is about. Uh, so, lifting this synopsis partially from ANN. Uh, in a universe where men and women are mortal enemies, Hibiki uh, and two other men are captured by a band of female pirates. Uh, the, sh the group find themselves stranded on a super ship they dubbed the Nevada, and set out to return to the male and female planet home planets of Tarok and Majer. Along the way, they discover the existence of the Harvest, which threatens both men and women. And uh, basically, you can read this as a somewhat horny Star Trek or a slightly less problematic Target of Franks. Um, either way, again, outside of the, like, ED song, which is probably the poorest part of the show, it actually is a lot tamer than that promise would suggest somehow. I'm gonna make another comparison, actually. You know what this kind of reminds me of in a strange way? Hmm. Especially in the finale, where they get everybody. I got a very Mass Effect vibe from some of this. That's fair. It's the fact that they are all kind of like a bunch of... They are all technically, like, come from all different walks and different life. Where it's like, some are outcasts, some are just kind of like weird kids, some are... literal prisoners of war. And they all just kind of make it work. And kind of actually become a pretty kind of sweet family, all things considered. It gave me very, uh, like, Mass Effect-y kind of vibes, as well as a bit of Gurren Lagan, but more shonen. Like, Gurren Lagan is rule of cool, but I wouldn't ne not necessarily describe Gurren Lagan as shonen, if that makes sense. This felt like, the finale of this felt like what I would describe as, this is the end of a weekly shonen jump or a weekly shonen Sunday series, wrapping up its finale. Yeah, uh, yeah, that probably would be a pretty accurate description. <laughs> Anyways, this is Vandred. W let's talk about Vandred. And it's dub! Oh, yes, I... Oh, yes, very. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, we should probably get to talking about uh, who worked on this little... Who worked on the dub for this little show. Um, so, as always, we will start things off by talking about the ADR voice director and adapt the script writers because we have a few of them in this case. Uh, for our yeah, definitely a couple. Yeah. Okay, so for our ADR director, we actually have the head of Zoom, one Eric P. Sherman, and for adaptive scriptwriters, we have Clark Chang, Eric Sherman, Tom Weider, Fred Kenimer, and Tony Oliver. Uh, Eric Sherman mm -hmm. has done, That is pretty stacked. Yeah, Eric Sherman has a voice direction on shows such as Ark the Lad, Showbiz, and Hikai J, and the Mountain Colony of Harvey Suzumiya, all having done scripts for shows such as Magical Nightmare of Two, Mesa Forte, and Rudy Kenshin. Kwai Chang has done scripts for anime such as Card Captain Soccer and the Sealed Card, Bodegger Z Infinity, and Luba the Third, Jiggins Gravestone, as well as Expelled from Paradise. Tom Weiner has done scripts for Argento Soma, Gungrave, and Samurai Shampoo. And Fred Kenimer has done scripts for Joe Bits, 
Here is Greenwood. And Wild Arms Twilight Venom. Last week, Tony Oliver. His unscripted for shows like Eureka 7. Here to Bizarre Adventure. And basically all the post 2010 Fate Stay Night dubs. He's... Tony's definitely the name I'm most familiar with of this squad, for sure. Yeah. He's been around a while. He's kind of a veteran. Yeah. Shit, most of this dub is full of veterans at this point, isn't it? I think, oh, you think, oh, yeah, like, yeah, I'm surprised they even did like, maybe two or three people. Most of the actors in this sub are actually still around. Uh, on that yeah. Note, yeah, uh, on that note, would you like to turn us off, Andrew? Um, I guess. I. This dub is definitely... I would not say it is, like, particularly, like... I think I looked at this and I thought this was going to be a lot more dated and awkward than it turned out to be. I enjoyed myself with this dub. It's got a pretty, pretty fun cast, all things considered. Um, most everybody sounds like they are doing a pretty good job. There's maybe, like, a couple of, like, background characters or, like, one or two people of the crew that I thought were a little, little not as strong as the rest. Or it could have had a couple of flat deliveries and stuff, but I'm not really... I'm not going to be that nitpicky of criticizing modern dub fan standards to early 2000s. I don't think that's particularly fair. But it's just the kind of thing that's interesting to notice and look back on. I will definitely say that this is a pretty... I think this show is really good with its, with its comedy with its delivery of comp like comedic performances and like zany anime-esque reaction noises i think this has a lot of fun fun those those little things it can be serious and it does a good job selling you on the drama sometimes though i will definitely say that like the narrative and the script especially in like the last third of it gets very convoluted to the point where I'm kind of just zoning out where it's like, okay, okay, okay. This is a big, this is a big space shonen finale. Power, power of love, power of friendship, power of togetherness, blah, 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 blah. I'm kind of zoning out. I can't look at CG card like PS2 graphics anymore. That being said, like it was pretty entertaining and it is always a pleasure to listen to a couple of veteran actors in their heyday when they were a little greener just seeing what they were like and what they were doing way back when it's the kind of thing i appreciate that i got the chance to watch this from like a historical perspective and i definitely i think i enjoyed the show okay now i'm gonna just grab this as i told you my expectation going into this was this was going to be very horny the premise is basically the girls and boys were separated from each other and then them trying to understand how like men and women came together i feel like this could have been a way with that premise that setup this could have been a way way more painful slash uh misogynistic is that the correct term i'd use a little more of the men need women to survive, women need men to survive, yada yada yada. I was worried it was going to go that path, but it was it was more of you don't need one another. More so, 
you two are very similar and can coexist and better society and the galaxy. And you know what? That's pretty it. There was also a lot more actual lesbianism in this than I was actually anticipating. And I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was gonna bun like fumble that football really hard. I, I'm not gonna say it sticks the landing, but it, it gets a pretty good, it gets a pretty good ways there. That I was pleasantly surprised with. Not the best with every social issue, but we'll get to that. We'll, we'll yeah. cover that. All in oh, all, yeah, we'll, we'll get that. Vandra Dub was still pretty decent. I'd say it was a pretty solid time all around. It's not perfect, but I did enjoy my time with it. All in all, good job. Okay, uh, Roots? Yeah, um, I do have to say the scripts are really punchy, kinetic, and energetic. Um, most of the performances are, at worst, fine. Um, that being said, at the very least on the production side, it very much shows its age. Um... Line deliveries tend to uh, tend to vary from really good to yeah might have done with another take. Um, but again, these these are sort of flaws that I I'm gonna hand wave most of it just because this dub is at least 19 years old. Um, I think the show itself was released in North America in, like, 2002. As I, I mean, I mean, like, I checked A&N and it had, like, the VHS for 2000, so it might have actually came out here around then. I don't know. Okay, well, I mean, it's a, nonetheless a dub for an around 20-year-old show. God, where is my goddamn AARP card? Ugh. <laughs> Uh, do, 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 You're do. not that old yet, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yet. Uh, so, uh, was that it? Um, more or less, it it's peppy, it's energetic. Um, it's very interesting to see the casting as well. Um, just because this is probably around the time Bebop would have been dubbed, and you see a lot of recurrence. Uh, this may actually be one of the first times Crispin Freeman showed up in a California dub, which is kind of interesting, but we'll get to that. Was it? I feel it like might it might have been. I feel like this would have been around the time he started doing work in California. Um, but yeah, like, not too much to complain about, but it's still very much a product of its time. And yeah, I'm done. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, as for me, um, so, uh, so yeah, um, so yeah, again, interesting to know that um, did come out around the year 2000, so there is a very real chance this was recorded around the same time as or shortly after the dub for Bebop. And again, some of the actors from that show are even in this one. So, and that means this dub came out uh, during a period where dubs as a whole still weren't all that well received by hardcore anime fans. 
Edwin were just now kind of starting to change on that end. And so that's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm not, like, super familiar with Eric Sherman's work as a director, and the only does I've, his I've seen that I have any major recollections of are Chobits and Gungrave. Uh, I thought both of those were pretty alright, but they definitely showed their age in a few areas, and that's kind of how I feel about the direction for this dub. Uh, everyone here is, like, pretty decently cast for the most part, so it's, like, maybe some potential POC casting that, like, might have happened for a couple of characters had this been a modern dub. And, uh, while the direction here does have some of that uh, early 2000s hokiness in some areas, I think. I think most of the actors here sound pretty on point for the most part, and, like, even if by the few flat wineries here and there, I never really got the impression that the folks involved were taking it seriously. And, uh, and some of the performances hold up well enough that it's easy to see why most of the actors in this show were so somewhere in the voiceover industry. I uh, wish they were maybe a little better directed, but it never got to the point where it threatened to take me out of the show. Uh, script wise, it's also pretty solid, and even though this dub had five script writers, it still felt pretty seamless. And I have to get some props for that because that's not an easy feat to do even when you're going for a fairly literal translation. And I haven't ever actually watched a show in Japanese outside of like maybe a couple of scenes for comparison, so I'm not like totally certain exactly how accurate a translation is, but it definitely seemed pretty on point. And it, it definitely seemed pretty direct when it came to the show's goals, while occasionally having some fun with the innuendo every now and then. And because, again, while the show isn't as raunchy as it could have been, I mean, you have to have, I mean, you have to have metaphors in here somewhere, so... It's hard not to have at least a little bit of fun you, with you, that. You gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have some cheesecake comedy in there, and, like, most of that is just kind of the fact that, like, everybody is stupid and doesn't understand how actual, like, heterosexual baby-making works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, I think this dub does show a little age on the technical front and definitely doesn't hold up to anywhere near the level of, say, Bebop did. Uh, but it sounds pretty solid for the most part, and at least on that end, I don't think there's anything here I'd be too off-putting to modern audiences. I mean, at least on this end, we'll get to some other stuff. And uh, It was fun. It was alright. It was a good It was a good old Vandy time. <coughs> Vandy. I don't know what a Vandy is. I just... Um... Anyways, look, I, there's no real other way to talk about it, just because we're going to mention it through... Okay, here's your warning. We're going to probably, throughout the entirety of, like, actual, like, show, dub, analysis, discussion, and discourse, we're going to be shitting on the CG robots a lot. Oh, I absolutely expect it. That's an arrow, and uh, that, and I would actually not... And I would definitely not believe you. I will probably do that myself. <laughs> I'll say this, friends, fans, if you are going into Vandred as an actual, like, super robot show, you're probably going to be very disappointed. But if you're going into this for, like, a pretty fun, like, space epic that's very early 2000s gonzo, you're probably gonna have a fun time. Yeah, and... Yeah, and with that, uh, we should probably start talking about some of the characters. Yeah, uh, we so, probably it. should, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so for our first group, uh, we had some of the crew members of the Nevada. We have... Uh, I'm going to butcher a lot of these last names because I actually didn't really know what any of the last names were until I had to look them up for this episode. Honestly, just do your best. I don't think it matters. Just just go for it. Okay, uh, we have Parfait Ball Blair. 
Pryway, Underberg, Ezra Veal, Barnett, Orangello, and Misty Cornwell. And Parfait is one of the engineers and has kind of a nice little dynamic with Duello. Pryway is, well, it's never really specified exactly what she does, but I guess she's kind of supposed to be a nurse for the crew. Uh, but basically, she's just kind of. I, I think she's just. The, she's just the ship. No, she's the ship shipper. She's yeah, the ship shipper. Yeah, yes. Yeah, she just runs around a shipping notebook. Like, okay, like, I'm not sure if fanfiction.net exists, exists by that point in the future. But if it is, she's probably on there, like, every day. And, uh. And moving on, uh, Ez, uh, Ezra is one of the bridge crew members who discovers she's expecting a baby. And uh, if you're wondering how it works in this show, they do have, like, a break. They do have a surprising explanation about how, like, baby making works in this universe, where, like, the women of Ajer donate their. Donate an egg to their partner with like spliced cheese, and the partner nurses it in their womb, so they actually somehow manage to write men out of the equation. So, so what you're saying <laughs> is, Van Dred's, Van Dred's the future where if they don't need us, we're fucking obsolete. We are, we are busted tech. We are the outdated models. That's that's how it's gonna work in the future of Van Dred, Which you know what? Hey, look, good, easier for lesbian couples to have kids. Good for them. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, and also if you're wondering how men are bored on the bad tar planet Tarak, like, apparently they're just shipped out of factories because that really does sound like something an old male planet would do. Just shipped out of factories? Yes. Yeah, as a fun fact, like, in the, like, in the background of episode one, like, you guys will hear, like, two guys talking about making baby in, like, the same tone they would, like, Grabbing a beer after work. You know what? I think I remember that too. I was like, "Oh, what? <laughs> like, how does it work? Is there like a science to this, or is it just like you leave you leave some in there, and then you just have you have some butt babies? How's that work?" <laughs> Chet, you you know what you signed up for when you brought me onto this. Don't act uh, like you're surprised. Oh, oh, I'm, oh, I'm not surprised. This is exactly what I was expecting. Um, so, uh, anyway, continuing, uh, Barnett is one of the Dread pilots, and uh, and, but being, but, and being honestly frank, she is basically just Jerry's girlfriend. Like, the show didn't explicitly... Like, she the show, fucking is, yeah. Yeah, like, the show doesn't explicitly tell you those who are an item, but, like, they're, they're definitely an item. Like, at some point, it's pretty clear that Jura is just, like, not getting any chemistry from the main guy. And then it's just like, no, Jura, Jura's the girl that's always there for her, supporting her, worrying about her, like, crying over her. It's like, oh, oh, you you two are, like, okay, how do I describe it? If, if, like, if Jura is, bi is bisexual, uh, Barnett just straight up swings for the same team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, flat out, uh, there was an entire scene devoted to Jura putting a ring on Barnett's finger. And then kissing her on the cheek. I'm like, okay, okay, come on. That's just not got, that's just not chicks be- Okay, hang on. I was, I was gonna say, that's not guys being dudes. What's, what's, what's the alternative of that? Gals being pals. Gals being pals! How did I forget gals being pals? I was gonna say chicks being dicks. I'm like, wait, that doesn't quite work. <laughs> You're right, gals being pals. 
<laughs> wait, what? Wait, wait. For a moment there, you seriously thought it was. Oh man, we are snipping that. We are we are snipping that <laughs> and framing it. <laughs> You're never going to leave this town. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot Cal's being pals. And then we're sending it to your girlfriend. <laughs> I'm sorry, lesbians, I have failed you. Okay, and uh, last but not least, uh, Missy is a late cover who comes aboard the ship after being rescued from a stasis pod. And she's from one of Earth's earlier space colonies, so she's more experienced with relationships between men and women, and just. And basically just keeps trying to hit on EBK. She's also 14. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's something worth remembering. She's 14. I know, yes, look, time stasis, it's like, oh no, she's actually very old. Let's fuck off, she's 14. We we, we don't play that game here at we the, know the Rules Incorporated. <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway, uh, playing, playing Parfait, we have Dorothy Valentres for Piwe, we have Sandy Fox. And for Ezra, we have Alan Wilkinson, and for Barnett, we have Deborah Cunningham. And for Missy, we have Leah Sargent. And Dorothy Alendrez has played such roles as Barrel Strife and Trigun, Naru, Naru Sagawa, and Lapita, and Fusuke Mune in Lupin III, the Castle of Cavaliero. Okay, and Sandy Fox has played such characters as Anorita when Aldo is Zero, Marco Gabriel when he's Gaijay, and Jimmy Usa in the Viz Redub of Sailor Moon. Alan Wilkinson has played such characters as Shitotsu Hibi and Chobits. Extra Kaido in Idol Project, and Mahoro Andro in a Maho Chromatic franchise. Uh, Deborah Cunningham has played such characters as Robbie in Ark the Lead, uh, Chikako Shirai in GTO, and Misao Bakamichi in Erodi Kenshin. And lastly, Leah Sargent has played such characters as Claire Rhoda in Planetus, R. Dorothy Wainwright in the Big O, and Millie Thompson in Trigun. And uh, this is the point where I'm going to have to break professionalism for a second, because... Aside from Deborah Cunningham, Leah Sargent, and Sandy Fox, the rest of these are aliases. And while it's normally our policy here at Dub Talk to respect them, this is a 20-year-old dub. And in addition to predating the union status of pretty much all of these actors, it's going to hurt the flow of the discussion if we have to keep trying not to slip up, because frankly, there are a lot of old aliases in this show. Uh, so while we will be listing off these actors as they were credited for, like, as they were officially credited, for the sake of actual discussing... Um will be using the names most people would recognize them by. Um, so in this case, Parf, uh, so in this case, uh, Ezra, sorry, Ezra is Bridget Hoffman, and Parfait is Dorphelius Vaughn. Okay, uh, as we're looking into this, I'm uh, a little mistaken. Uh, Deborah Cunningham is also an alias, because that is actually Fully Sampler. Which, in hindsight, I'm kind of surprising. That definitely did sound like Fully Sampler. <laughs> and, um... The more you know! <laughs> Yeah, uh, so, uh, Ruth, would you like to start us off this time? Yeah, um, let me first start off with the, uh, with one of the big nitpicks of this show, and that is, for an early 2000s sort of harem comedy, the Magane aspect of the show is weak. 
it will not survive the winter. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting are, that. To, I actually did not think you were going to lead with that. There are not enough girls with glasses. Just putting that out there. Not enough girls with glasses, and all the ones that do have, like, very foggy glasses. Gonzo like, has brought shame upon the genre. Anyway. So, when have they not, to be honest? Fair. But also, Last Exile, screw you. Um, anyway. Uh, Dorothy Fawn is parfait. Um... I like how she sort of gave it, gave the performance sort of a mad scientist-y vibe, but didn't fully commit, which would have kind of been, it would have messed with the tone a little bit if she had fully committed, so I'm, I'm kind of glad it was just enough for you to notice, but not, like, overpowering. And... Do -do -do -do. Uh, Sandy Fox is absolutely lovable as the little shit gremlin Pieway. Um, and yes, I do believe she was a nurse aboard the ship before the men came along. Because I remember she was doing something medical on, on the women's ship when everything went down. But yeah, uh, little shit gremlin... Um, loves to just show up and take random pictures. Uh, and then she also has, like, a frog hand puppet that she does another voice for, and it's great. I like Bridget Hoffman's Ezra. She's very gentle. Uh, just about every aspect of her performance, even... Because, you know, the character is just so soft-spoken. Um... Yeah, I, I, I like it. There's not really much to say other than, like, she gets her breakout in Season 2 after she has her baby. Actually, I think her standout scene is when she has the baby. And they're stuck in the elevator, and... Yeah. Preg pregnancy, Walla. Can you get pregnant? <laughs> Can, Can you get, get pregante? <laughs> you knew I had to reference that here somewhere. I actually wasn't expecting you to go for the Can you get pregnant? But you know what? I'm glad you did. Alright, and... God, God, what would a fucking... Wi what would a wiki <laughs> ask look like in this universe? <laughs> oh, jeez. We don't have time here to speculate like, for considering... this. Oh, just imagine it would be awkward, terrible, and probably hilarious. Um, I would also wager there's a 90% chance it would be on the guy side. Probably. Because at the very least, it seems like the women have their shit together with pre pregnancy here. So, anyway. Guys will be like, hey, can I stick my dick in my belly button? It's like, <laughs> no, why? Um, can I make a baby that way? No, stop. Please stop. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually glad um, we pretty much have it confirmed now that Phyllis Sampler is Barnett. Because I got those vibes and 
you know, looking at the cast list and the name was weird with with no like alias attached to it. Felt kind of weird. Um but I I think of the sort of minor women aboard the ship, the just the regular crew members that actually get named. Um I kind of like her character arc the best out of all of them. Because uh, she actually gets some serious growth. Because there is, spoiler alert, a death within the crew that she feels personally responsible for. And uh, it leads her to become a better leader. And she ends up sort of being, taking over the quote-unquote stagehands that we'll get to in a sec. And I... I actually really like that little story arc of hers, and yeah. Okay, and now we get to Leah Sargent as Missy Cromwell. Um, basically kind of one note, but it was sort of still kind of enjoyable. Um, her basic purpose through the show is to, to hit on Hibiki and basically be a romantic foil to Dita. So I think she did that pretty well. Um, that last bit of little character arc she gets where she sort of feels isolated from the rest of the crew because she wasn't there from more or less the beginning. I like that. Um, but that's pretty much about it for her character, so overall, thumbs up for this crew. Yeah, cool, uh, Andrew. Okay, so starting off, when I started the show, people, uh, when I started the show, or I was getting more into the show, I asked, okay, which of these characters do you think would be my best girl? Both of you thought it would be Parfait. She is not my best girl, but I'll definitely say she's a solid top three as far as this show is concerned. Parfait's great. She's a little wacky sci science engineer lady who's got a really cute chemistry with the hot, bishy doctor man. Which, man, you want to go for your Star Trek, uh, you want to go for your Star Trek, uh, jokes and, yeah, no. Uh, the doctor and the engineer and the, are just shacking up. Like, it's pretty clear that, no, these two got something going on and they're pretty fun together. Uh, but uh, Dorothy, as Parfait, brings this nice, light level of, like, whimsy intelligence to her. Where she's wacky, but you're, as you're, you were saying, she's not really a mad scientist. She's not really going overboard or, like, pushing any buttons or doing any unethical things. She's just kind of a little wacky engineer lady who's along for the ride. She starts learning more about, like, guys and, like, science and health and giving birth and stuff because she hangs around the sci the, the scientist the doctor man who's a very pretty bishy boy and they got a very cute relationship and i like seeing them interact with each other I'm like oh i want i'd watch them go on a date they'd be adorable together but dorothy she's got a very fun like direction i like her chemistry with with oh my god i keep forgetting his name uh, uh duello 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 okay I, I legit completely forgot his name just because I'm like, you you are sexy doctor man. That's all I'm gonna know him as. 
Well, that and just the actor who plays him, who we'll get to in a bit. But no, I, I really like Dorothy's uh, delivery for this character in particular. And the fact that her name is Parfait is strange, but I don't get it. Sandy Fox! Okay, uh, just because we're discussing other... We will make other comparison to some other Dub Talk 5th Anniversary podcasts we have done, or ones I have done. I did Chobits this year. Piway is just her character from Chobits, but, like, actually person-sized. That's the tone of voice, especially, especially when she's using the little frog sock puppet. That's just... Su is it Sumomo? I think it's Sumomo. I think so, yeah. Sumomo, Sumomo, Sumomo. Yeah, I'm looking up the name. I, I I typed in Sumu. I'm like, damn it. Okay. Anyways, her character, her character from Chobits. That's what I'm getting at. And I think she's a really kind of quirky character that shows up. She's very much a bit of a comic relief that's just spying on everybody. Is like, oh, they fucking, oh, they fucking. I'm writing this in my book. They fucking. She she's not really like a fan fiction. Here's what it is. She's not. She's not writing, like, fan fiction of her friends. She is just... She is the kid who is, like, shipping, like, the... She's, like, the kid in high school that ships, like, the the teachers together. That's that's what her deal is, where it's like, okay, I think those two got something going on. They can make it work. They can figure something out. That's what I think she thinks her deal is. But, yeah, I, I do think she is also, like, a medical professional... Which also, I think she too is like 14, 15. Would you trust a 14-year-old with your literal life? Especially when they are in a maid outfit. Especially when they are in a maid outfit and their other hand is a frog sock puppet. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna trust that going into my fucking ribcage. Here, <laughs> let me consult my assistant. Brain, your spleen's gotta come out. Brain. God, now I'm just... God, now I'm imagining her as an actual doctor. It's like, tell me, doctor. How's it going? I would tell you, but... I should... I should... I should let this news come from somebody that's a more professional in the field. Pulls out the, the frog pocket. Hi there! It's Terminal! You have four weeks to live! <laughs> have a lollipop! I'm sorry for this tragedy. I would not trust that. I would not trust that person with my life. But I, I think Piway's adorable, and I think Sandy's voice is really adorable and works very well for the character. Um, uh, Bridget as Ezra, I think she's very soft-spoken, motherly, maternally. It's a, it's a Bridget, it's a Bridget performance. I'm pretty familiar with that at this point. It's similar to what I'm very used to her. I, I didn't stand out too much, but of course, like, the birth scene, as well as also when she's confronted by BC, when she's confronted by BC about the fact that she is literally like, I don't know how to fucking be a mom. This is so crazy. I, like, I feel like I'm not doing things right. I feel like I'm gonna do a bad job. I'm gonna raise her wrong, and she's gonna turn out to be a shit kid. I don't know what I'm doing, and she just breaks down... And, like, is very open and vulnerable, like, that she's not usually for most of the show. And I thought that was a really powerful, poignant moment. And I really like that. I also spent most of the show thinking, okay, who the hell's her baby mama? Who's 
smashed that? Or who donated that egg? I'm just gonna say smash that. It's easier to just say they smashed that. Um, basically, one egg, and then there's another egg, and then you just crack them over a bowl. Boom, baby. Yeah, she smacked. She smashed it. Just like that like and subscribe button. You know what? I'm not even upset. I I was just hoping you were going to go for like a... Oh my god, what's that YouTube... What is the YouTube channel where it's just... The guy that just makes like a bunch of... Recipes and always throws eggs and is like maybe naked? Oh, I don't remember that account's it? name. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely I do. Uh, just... Oh, it's gonna fucking bug me. Uh, Bridget Hoffman uh, is very good as Ezra. Uh, Felice as Barnett. Uh, she... she I was... She really grew on me as the show went on. Like, I wasn't a big fan of her at first. I thought she was a little annoying. But then it's like, oh, no, she has character arc. She has an actual, like... Basically... Friend-fuck relationship with uh, Jura... And then they're basically just a married couple by that point, and it's like, yeah, no, she'll be she'll be a good she'll be a good uh, Oba to Jura's mama. Um, but no, she's got some very good character development stuff, especially when she fights with Cascone. I just say Gasco because like. I can't pronounce it. Gasco. She'll be mad, but who cares? Whatever. Uh, but no, I actually really liked her relationship with Gasco, as well as like the fact that she's dealing with the loss and like the fighting. And the last thing they do is that they had a fight, and she'll never see her again. And then basically takes up that role on the ship as like the support engineer, and she's got some pretty big growth. Also, she's really good with guns. I thought that was cool when she was shooting slimes and stuff, and she was just gun taku. I thought that was cool, and I think Valise does a good job. Why is Misty in the show? Mm, yeah. I know why she's in the show. I know that she is there for conflict. I, I, she was very obnoxious, and you, you did not need it. You did not need it. Really, like, she was the most, like, harem shenanigans when it was literal just soap opera love triangle for, like, a whole episode or two, and it was just obnoxious. I think Leah does a good job playing Misty. She does a good job making her sound kind of like a bratty, I don't care, but I actually care a lot kind of character. But I just think Misty was very unnecessary. She had two things going for her. One, uh, one was the fact that she actually has a kind of poignant moment with Possessed Puro, who is secretly the entity of the giant spherical alien that's in their ship. And that she has a kind of sweet moment where it's like, I, you're, you're just as alone as I am. And I think the fact that she is isolated and alone could have been interesting. They just didn't really do anything with that and just focused more on the fact that, oh no, Ahibiki, you're my boyfriend now. Yay, don't, don't forget I'm 14. I also kind of like the fact that she maybe had a big little big sister slash budding lesbian crush on Maya. I thought that could have been interesting, but they didn't really do anything with that, and I was sad. 
I didn't care for Misty, but Leah does a good job. Okay, um, so as for me, uh, I can be pretty quick with a few of these. Uh, Ezra is mostly the background for a while of the show after we find out about her pregnancy, but I thought that Bridget did a good job of making her sound like appropriately sweet and motherly. And I think she does a good job with some of Ezra's moments with Dina, where she kind of uh, gives her some advice by being true for herself, even if like she can't really understand why Dina so it's just not chasing after EDK all the time. And uh, when Ezra does finally have her baby, uh, Bridget does a really good job of like portraying a lot of her doubts about being a parent. And, I, and like Andrew was saying, I liked her whole scene where in BC, where she got a break sign about all those anxieties. And I think did a really good job of making that all feel pretty believable. And I think that after that, she does a pretty good job of just kind of putting her foot down with Piero and like, and, and making him stop hanging around the baby so much. As I, and, I, as I, and again, I also appreciate that while we don't meet her until the last three episodes, as her significant other seems grew, it seems pretty cool and did an appropriate job of pulling Piero because... Everyone's a bully PR, he deserves it. Uh, Parfait, uh, Parfait doesn't have, like, too much going for her outside of, like, being the tech girl and the whole dynamic with Duello, but I think, I think Dorothy does a pretty good job of just not looking a lot of her general enthusiasm and, you know, trying to learn more about how the ship works and makes her kebabers pretty nice and sweet. Again, I mean, like, her whole, like, dynamic with Duello where they kind of butt heads at first. When he tries to like draw a whole line between like living organisms and machines and whatnot, because you know, Star Trek shenanigans and whatnot. Uh, but like once they get past that, they get along pretty well, and Dorothy does a pretty good job of bouncing off of Duello's actor. And it's kind of funny to hear Peppy attitude play off of how quiet he is. I think one of my favorite bits with them is like in that Christmas episode where she's like explaining the concepts of presents to him. And because Star Trek is like this military empire where there was, a, where there was like no fun allowed, apparently. And afterwards, it's like, oh, okay, so you've already decided what you're getting me, right? And, it's, and, he just, and he's just very confused. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll say, if nothing else, I very much sympathize and understand that, yes, men are stupid and can't get a clue. That, that's true, even for the harem shenanigans. More or less. Uh, yeah. And, uh, okay, uh, moving on to, uh, Sandy Fox's Pyway. Pyway kind of, uh, has a role in being a resident gremlin, and considering Sandy Fox went on to play Jimmy Usa, it goes without saying he has a pretty good handle on that archetype, but he does a pretty good job of showing off a lot of Pyway's chaotic energy whenever she's busy spying on people, making her come off as an actual kid. So, uh, it's also probably worth noting that Pyway nearly causes a mutiny at the end of season one because she thought Dina forgot her anniversary during the crew. And once they heard, just like enthusiastically trying to wally the women into going back to imprisoning the man, well, maybe realize she probably I forgot that them. there was a... I completely forgot about the whole coup arc. I'm like, this is so nothing, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, that one. Cut. Right. Yeah, that one. Nothing. Like, it was the most literal nothing, what the fuck was the point of this in the show? And I was just like, we're like through season one. Y'all are getting along fine. Really? Like, Captain's just letting this happen. She doesn't really care. She's just like, okay, fine. It needed just to get, just, happen. Just get, the just get the misandry out of your system. We'll be back to work tomorrow. Just, just get a little bit of that misandry out of your system, and then we'll be back, Peachy Keen, okay? I'm going to take a nap. It needed to happen like four episodes before it did. Yeah, but yeah, but it did, yeah. Yeah, 
I guess we were like, well, we need to end season one on some point of a big note, and it was like, yeah, maybe we could have done something else. Ended on a big note. They had, like, the huge fucking flagship. That was as big as big note as they needed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, I, mean, I, guess, I mean, I guess they needed an excuse to get he beak off the chip for 10 seconds or he could watch people die, but... Fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, moving on to Leah Sergeant as Misty. Aside from this, I only know her as Millie from Trigun, who, in addition to being a very big lady, is a total sweetheart, and Missy is kind of neither of those things. That's the thing kind of comes off being very hot early on and kind of snooty during a lot of the crew members. Never, but especially Nina and Leah does a pretty good job of getting that attitude across pretty well, even if her line reads are a little flat every once in a while. And, and Missy is also pretty thirsty for Ibiki, as is previously established, and while she doesn't chase him around as much as Tina does, uh, Leah plays it up pretty well, which makes it all that harder when DB Key rejects her because, of course. Uh, it's around then that we see that Maisie's naughty attitude is just kind of her pitting up a front because everyone she used to know is kind of dead. And she feels like an outsider on the ship, and when Missy confesses all of that to me, um, Leah does a pretty good job of making it feel pretty sincere, even if Missy still isn't totally likable. And from there, she's like slightly nicer, even if she is still kind of snooty. Um, uh, but, uh, and we also see she's maybe not quite as boy crazy as we, she initially went on because at that point her thirst basically switches to me up because, again, some, because again, while this show isn't perfect, there are somehow, like, maybe only two completely straight women in this show, which is frankly kind of surprising. There's a, there's at least a lot of, but there's a lot of, the spectrum of sexuality in this show is far more complicated than I anticipated from an early 2000s anime. I'm almost impressed. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, lastly, for uh, Felice Sampler's Barnett. Uh, guess I, again, I'm kind of surprised I didn't recognize that was Felice Sampler because, like, I can definitely hear it now. But <laughs> I can definitely hear it now, but I guess for some reason it didn't click right away. Uh, but I definitely enjoyed her here uh, in the early episodes. Barnett is just kind of Part of the ensemble is Jira's girlfriend, basically, and never does a good job of having Barnett swap between playing along with a lot of Jira's desire to show off and being like, yeah, sure, whatever you say. Now, which is a vibe I can definitely appreciate. Uh, but of course, as the show goes on and we get, and Barnett gets to say that a little more, uh, we, see, uh, we see that she can be kind of stubborn and hot headed in the same way EBK is, especially when it comes to Jira. And that happens to cause some problems, like, again, her, her leading highway silly mutiny at the end of season one. And her hot and uh, kingly butting head with Gosco when, and how that whole thing kind of comes to a head where she ends up getting Gosco seemingly killed. And uh, Deborah does a pretty good job of telling the regret she feels in that moment pretty well. And from there, both Barnett and Deborah's and um, police's performance get a little softer. As Barnett just kind of does her best to take Gosco's role in the crew. And she even tries to be a friendly here to EBK of all people. Uh, which is uh, definitely not an easy feat. Uh, considering, uh, considering what happens with Gosco after that, which we'll get to a little bit, you could say maybe it undercroaks her growth slightly. But I think her character arc was more or less done by that point, so it didn't bother me too, too much. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, anyway, I thought all the ladies here did a pretty good job, and I definitely enjoyed most of them. And while we are on a subject of Barnett, uh, there is a really 
kind of slightly interesting bit. Because when we wrote up that they sent you on an issue, it's actually certainly more complicated than what went on. Uh, there was a manga adaption of this that got made that I, like, skimmed through, like, way back when. Uh, weirdly enough, in that version, Hibiki was the only male on the ship. And in that version, uh, besides Hina, his other, his other love interest was somehow Barnett of all people. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean, other version of Vandred? As I, I mean, I mean, it was a manga adaption. Okay, okay, so this was an anime original, but there was a manga based on it, right? Yeah, yeah, there was a, yeah, there was a manga adaption made later. In that version... So... Yeah. In that version, Barnett was in romantic interest? Yeah, I don't get it either. I don't get it either, and I'm glad that the anime just had her be, like, maybe in lesbians with her best friend. I appreciate that a lot more. Yep, and uh, on that note, it's uh, we're going to move on to our next set of characters. We're going to move on to who are basically some of the mods of the crew. Okay, so we have the captain of the pirates, Magno Vivian, the commander, Buzami Kasoa, better known as BC, and Gosko Diu, a renegade, better known as Gosko, who is in charge of the Red Screw, which are Basically, just a bunch of ladies running around in maid outfits who supply weapon and ammo to the pilots. And uh, as for why they're in maid outfits, I mean, uh, she's probably just really into that. I mean, look at her. <laughs> it's just, it. there's no rhyme, there's no reason. There's just, you know what? She's a butch mama lady, and she's like, you know what? Let's get the girls in some maid outfits. Why not? Why not? Okay, you know what? That's... That's how I would describe Vandred. Why? Well, why not? That's my pitch to you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay, um, so anyway, playing uh, Gosko, we have Jane Allen. Uh, for Magno, we have Catherine Luciani. And for BC, uh, this is where things are gonna... We're gonna have to talk about how... Okay, introduce the... It just, just, just go for it. Just do it. Okay, uh, so this is where we're going to have to talk about where the show is a little dated. Uh, because uh, we a have... A little dated! Yeah, because we have two actors for this character. Uh, one is Wendy Lee, and the other is Crispin Freeman. Uh, because we find out in the last couple of episodes that BC was, in fact, a spy for the male planet Tarak, who joined up with the pirates who gained more information about the women, but ended up getting attached to the crew. Again, the show kind of shows its age a little with the pronouns here during that whole reveal. Like, she's treated fairly respectfully uh, the, otherwise. The pronouns, like... the delivery, the... It, it's... it's... I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give too much shit about it, because it was a different time, but it's very much like, uh... It's not necessary. It's very much, you tried, but... Not great, not great, you not great. Well, mostly, we're mostly just going to talk. Succeed. Or you we're, we're just, for the most... Also, I'm just going to say this right now. I could try with... Okay, here's what it is. I will do my best to try and be... Res I would do my best to try and be respectful with pronouns for any and all particular characters. I also acknowledge the show does not make it very clear... So, 
instead, I'm going to, instead of saying he or she, I'm just going to say BC. Because that's just easier. Because this character does not express as whether they prefer to identify more as male or female. So I don't want to use the incorrect pronouns, but the show does also also doesn't give us a lot to work off of. So if one of us slips up, please forgive us. This is an early 2000 show that isn't great with this either way. Please forgive us. Please and thank you. Trans rights. So. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, get, so I'm getting it. So I'm getting to stuff these actors have done. Uh, Catherine Luciani has played such characters as Antonio in Fist of the North Star, Ken Nakaoka in Barefoot Gen, uh, the Grandmaster in of Witches and Tweewee Witches. Uh, but weirdly, you would probably know her best as Alpha 6 from Power Rangers Turbo. Mm. What? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because... Um... Richard Horowitz kind of had a dispute with the producers, left the show. Um, they brought in Wendy Lee. Hmm. Okay, um, Jane Allen, you might know a little better as Marie Devon. Uh, she's done such characters as Beatabaj in, Be in Battle Beataman, uh, Haruka Uchiyama in La Pita, and Iser 2 in Fight Iser 1. And uh, Wendy Lee, you'll know from basically everything, but specifically... Shiraki Gakuri in Luxus's, Dorothy and Mare, Martin and Wicked's Romance, and Lisa Lisa in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, lastly, Crispin Freeman has played such characters as Zogadis Greysword from Slayers, Seagard from Brave Bowser, and. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna. Well, I mean, I actually can't scream this, but. Cray Foresight from Premiere. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Andrew, would you like to start us off this time? Uh, sure, sure thing. Um, I'll start off with, I think, I don't have that much to say about Gasco, but I do think that, uh, actually, does, does Gasco have a, did we say Gasco's actress name or not yet? Uh, sorry, um, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, Jane Allen is what she was credited as, uh, real name is Marie Devon. Okay, I was going to say, I feel like I've heard of Mari before. Uh, I think they do a pretty good job sounding like the very butch big sister of the team, where she's just a pal. I actually really like her relationship with Hibiki, where they just, where he's just kind of a little shit that doesn't really appreciate the, the stage hands, so to speak, and she basically just makes him a, makes him a, stagehand for a day or two so that he better appreciates and understands the work that goes into supporting the crew and the ship. And I actually think they're really good, like, that kind of opens his eyes a little. He becomes a little less of a shit. They start playing cards together, and he's actually really sad when she dies. Kind of. Look, I'm not a fan of, like, look, if you're gonna do- if you're gonna commit to an actual death or two, commit. There wasn't really a... Unless there's plausible deniability. This one, there really wasn't any plausible deniability. It's like she crashed the fucking ship. Uh, so, I mean, I guess the plausible deniability was it was an explosion, technically, but... Eh. The, I, I, it's, I, I thought that was a little lame. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah that was pretty contrived, honestly. 
it felt very... Okay, I'm gonna say this. Let, let's just... It felt very fairy tale. Do you know what that actually is a fair yeah. comparison? <laughs> yep. Just gonna linger on that. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. I, I just remembered, I remembered a lot of fairy tale again because somebody on Discord, while I was in the middle of work and just watching stuff with Steph last week, uh, somebody just added me being like, hey, can you explain why you hate best in fairy tale? I'm like, oh, boy, let's rip this fucking open. Shit, I, I enjoy fairy tale, but talking shit about fairy tale is very cathartic for me. I don't know why. Uh, but Gasco is a pretty fun character. I really enjoyed the performance. Very fun, very butch, enjoyable. Um, I'm gonna talk about uh, Wendy Lee next. Uh, BC. BC is a pretty fun supporting commander of the ship. Uh, BC is very much the team... Very much like a paternal team figure, for sure. I, I like the way they support other characters. I like... Like I said, I really love the scene with Ezra. I think they've also got some pretty decent chemistry with Bart. To the point that Bart kind of has, like, a crush on BC. Which I sort of appreciate... I sort of appreciate the fact where it's like... Bart's not really... How do I describe this? Bart was not really ill gay panicked. Whereas just like Bart's getting tortured and to be like, renounce your faith in women. Like a fucking incel court. Like it was like an incel cult or something in that way. It's like renounce your faith in women. Um where it's just like I, I had a crush like I fell in love of with you even before I knew like who you were. Like I'm like cool. Was not really, like, disgusted. It was just like, yeah, no. I had a thing for you. You were hot. BC's hot. There's a lot of problematic stuff in regards to why this was a story arc that was done. Why they went with this decision. Why the male voice was Crispin fucking Freeman, who does a great job. But why? I like BC. BC was cool. BC is a very fun character, design, very good chemistry with the team. Wendy's fantastic. Wendy Lee is so sassy and badass and very much like, oh, you will kick my ass and I will say thank you, ma'am, may I have another. That's like what Wendy Lee sounds like. She sounds great. I really wish this was not the way they went with this character. I, it's very, very disappointing. But I do think that for the most part, BC is a pretty fun, enjoyable character. Wendy Lee does a great job as performing said character. I know very little about Catherine Luciani, but I know I adored her as Captain uh, Magnovid Mongovidian. God, I fucking love these names. I loved her as the captain. She's just, she's just the coolest grandma ever. She's just the cool grandma. She will kick your ass. She will fucking, like, down a whole bottle of whiskey. Because she doesn't give a fuck. She is, like, 80 years old. She doesn't give a shit anymore. She's lived a life. She's fucked. 
This granny's fucked. This granny's killed. She's partied like it's 1999. She fucking has some stories. She's seen some shit. She's done some shit. And the way Catherine plays her was such a gruff, like... It's like a worldliness where it's like she is well-traveled, but she's also gruff and tough and will kick your ass, but also loves you very dearly. She loves everybody in this group. Like, she cares about everybody, and she will stick with them thick and thin, male or female. She loves all of these stupid bastard pirate children. And she's just, she just has this really cool tone of voice, and she just really convinces me that this is a character that cares. And she's just cool grandma. I like cool pirate grandma. And I think Catherine's fantastic. I very much enjoyed this performance. Like, this is not an actress... This is an actress, this is what I like about old dubs, is you find actresses or actors, you're very unfamiliar with their, their, their filmography, and you hear a performance and you're like, wow, you're really good. I really liked her. Cool Pirate Granny is best girl. Okay, correction, she's not my best girl, but fucking, she might as well, she, she's everybody's best girl, she should be. Uh, yes, absolutely, uh, Roots. Yeah, um, yeah, I think I'm going to start with the, uh, the captain. Um, <clears throat> just to refresh my memory, this is, this was the actress you were referring to when you were saying, um, the Alpha 6 stuff, right? Yep. Okay, because this was, uh, the New York accent one that was kind of... Because I think Wendy Lee did... I, I mentioned Wendy Lee earlier, but I think she did Alpha in a later season. Anyway, I like her. I like her sort of no-shits-given attitude. Um, she knows her crew, and she knows how to motivate them, and how to not, not get involved. I'm sorry. Um, she knows how to intervene without getting involved. And I thought that was really cool. Um, I gotta say, though, this show threw so many death flags her way. Like, it's it was crazy. Because uh, she has some sort of heart condition that they, they don't really talk about, but she... Like, she always seems like she's, like, almost uh, at the throes of death, and you... I thought they were going to pull a Yamato with this, and they didn't. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but Catherine Luciani did a great job with the character. It was good. Uh, Glasscon. Um, yeah, I, I like this as well. Um, she knew how to keep the 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 quote-unquote stagehands basically in line and she ran a really tight ship business um but i think the standout of the dub performance is the um the card games she plays with hibiki uh every couple of episodes um where she's basically trying to tell him oh yeah um, card games are really about reading your opponent and I can read you like a book and she wins like every time except for the game they were playing as she went out and 
supposedly died. Um, and I actually did like the scene where she came back and everybody was happy. I think it was kind of bullshit she survived, but yeah. Uh, and that brings me to uh, BC and Wendy Lee and Crispin Freeman. Um, I like Wendy Lee's side of the performance a lot. Um, I think the standout of it was sort of the... Um, it wasn't quite a prison planet, but it was sort of a... Um, like that refugee colony where the where the little green space blobs attack. It's basically the the grimy sci-fi world where it's like you can tell it's I don't know how you describe it. It's like basically every every back alley deal can get you killed. There's like hookers making out on the streets. There's a lot of like cyberpunk shit going down. You know the type. You've seen movies. Yeah. <laughs> um but I, I like the thing where she was about to fight the leader of that colony, and she's just like, oh, yeah, um, leave this to me. Pulls out a whip. Um, that was pretty good. I will say I like the Crispin Freeman side of the performance. I just don't know how I feel about the reveal. It's not great. It is definitely where they show show the things the most. I mean, I will say it's not Steinsgate bad, but I think that is. Is it? Is it? Is it? Yeah. I mean, the thing I will say about it is that, is that it, this is not the worst. It's not the worst it's ever been. Is it? Is it? Yeah. 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 The thing I will say about it is that, like, it, at the very least, it does not feel panicky. It's just like you could have done this better. Right. It's um, basically you had an you had an idea for a twist and like I said, it, it that's the way I described it. Like I was afraid this was just straight up just going to be like disgusting gay panic. How could you like fucking vile like very ho very homophobic or transphobic? I thought it was gonna go either or. It never did, which surprised me. But it's still not great. And I think the part of it that annoyed me is they, after the reveal and after BC joins the, rejoins the crew, um, the captain basically tells them, you know, you know, you're, I, I never actually dismiss you. Oh, and by the way, I liked your other voice better. And then the show just yeah, kind of goes was like back to status quo. Yeah, it, it, yeah, you're right. They just like okay. They just they just turned the voice thing on again, and just like we're just we're just never going to acknowledge that this was a plot point we did for all of a single episode. It was just for a single episode. That was it. Um, it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter. What was the fucking point of this? Yeah. Overall, I like the the dub performances of this group. It's just. I'm a little confused about where they wanted to go with BC. And that is... And on that, I guess... So what I'll you're saying... Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So what you're saying is that the character of BC might be a little bit... 
dated. Maybe just a little. Pat. Pandora, go in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck you. I get it now. <laughs> you didn't even get it. <laughs> I thought you were asking that straight, and then... Just go in the corner. You're done. <laughs> Jet, let's hear your I'm, opinion. I'm done. I'm mad. Okay, I'm sorry, sorry I got Fajasco. I'm not like super I'm not really familiar with Marie Devon, but I definitely liked her here. Uh like Duello, she's kind of supposed to be like the cool one and above the lady that I think Marie does a good job of. I bet you're gonna come off as kind of a cool big sister or one of the more level headed people in the crew. And that puts her at odds with Hibiki and Barnett, who were kind of more hot-headed, but I thought Marie did a good job of playing off of them. And when it comes to Hibiki, she does a really good job of just kind of casually ducking on him, reminding him why he's going to need other people if he... Uh, if he's going to get anywhere, they have a pretty nice dynamic, and that dynamic is pretty much her trying to give a poster constantly, and that's pretty fun. And also, one thing that I was directed about in this BC is she definitely does... I did that with Big Hibiki and some outfit advice every now and then, and thought Murray handled that pretty well. And similarly with Bardanti, did a good job of calling her out for being too reckless, and, and when Gosso gets accused of being cold because he kind of prefers to with her head, she does a good job of showing she's willing to put her neck out for the other, and I thought Murray handled both sides of her pretty well. Again, it is kind of weird to show walks back or supposed death, even if it does technically troll and he try to drew logic of no one dies in an explosion. Uh, but I think it. I think the reason it kind of partially works for me is actually, but it has been part in particular because it was out of a desire to survive. So her surviving puts a slightly nice cap on that, I guess. And mostly, I just kind of liked her little conversation with Barnett afterwards, where Barnett just says, "Thank you for staying alive." I thought that was nice. Uh, moving on to Catherine Luciani is Captain Magno. I'm not familiar with her either. I had of like big memories of Power Rangers Turbo when I was a kid, but I liked her a lot here. And she does a good job of getting the captain a very distinct tone for an elderly character. And she does a good job of backing forth, going back and forth between being a very kindly grandma. Whenever the captain's doing things like humoring Hibiki's antics or dressing up in Santa for Christmas. And then going full on don't screw with Granny whenever the situation's serious. And you can definitely believe this old lady just running a pirate gang. And Catherine definitely plays her with the air of someone who's seen some stuff over the years. And that definitely makes the captain pretty defensive of her crewmates as he doesn't want any deaths on her conscience. And she's definitely pretty quick to talk down to people who are willing to throw their lives away. And we definitely see that best during an episode where the crew goes to a planet where all the pe people worship the airflings. And despite the fact that they're literally telling them to offer up their orcas for their own survival, and, and when Magda calls them out for their issue, perspective and thinking that they could live on a great planet despite everything that I just mentioned because boy if that isn't a 2020 move right there and oh Catherine man <laughs> uh, uh, anyway Catherine does a really good job of making her lets her feel heartfelt and sincere and it mostly this really helps her to help to cement why I like this character and again, while the stuff with BC isn't great, I mean, I appreciate these other transphobes, and it definitely makes her better than most boomers. And also, I hmm. also I would like to propose a brief question to you two gentlemen. Hmm. Uh, okay. Is that, okay, so, okay, so the captain has a very weird hat, and under that hat she has long blonde hair. 
a similar character has a a character has a similar hat to this. Finn the human, who also has long blonde hair under his hat. So my question to you is, do you think Pendleton Ward has seen Vandred before? You know, Man, I can see it. You know, you know, you know, that's like early 2000s anime garbage. I feel like he may not be the biggest fan of it, but I could believe Pendleton may have some cursory knowledge of it. Sure. Sure, why not? What a what a strange strange question that I appreciate that you brought it up. I'm I I'll I'll, I'll sure. Pendle Pendleton Ward likes Vandred. I can roll with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like I just noticed I had this time like wait, wait, I'm gonna go right on and see exactly my head. <laughs> Alright, I'm ready to move on. Uh, uh, still gotta finish up the session real quick. Um, okay. So, uh, lastly, for what he leaves BC, uh, BC is kind of the character she generally sells and playing really well. Uh, the cool and comfort lady who will definitely kick you two away from Sunday if you cross her. And for the second we meet BC, she definitely gives her an air of confidence. I like what Catherine Luciani is the captain. Uh, makes it clear why the other ladies respect her as a commander, and we see very quickly that she can back it up. And also, like the commander, uh, BC can definitely be the mob of the group when DB and BC is definitely the one who won't put up with any sass. And so it's pretty much, so it's pretty fun watching the two of them play off of each other pretty well whenever they have to be the adults in the room for the rest of the crew. I also really like uh, BC's dynamic with Hibiki, where she's kind of the first person to really call him out on all his false bravado and kind of get into a bit, a bit of a loser before getting him to really challenge himself. And that, and that really that pretty much continues on through the whole show, and you can definitely tell she's uh, gained a little more respect for him later on, which I kind of like. And so, uh, but of course, we have to talk about the whole thing with BC's reveal. And, so, and again, uh, the show is kind of bad with pronouns here. It doesn't feel like super mean-spirited or like it's trying to raise any serious red flags or anything, but it definitely is kind of like a, you could have done this better. I definitely will say think I do this think through. I think is yeah. I definitely will. Yeah, I will say I do think Crispin Freeman did a good job of coming off of Wendy Lee's performance after the couple of episodes where he had to play BC. And uh, while the show uh, tries to set it up as a bit of a mystery as to whether or not BC really sold out the crew, uh, we already know by that point BC is pretty attached to the crew, so it's not too surprising when BC turns on his shoulders. And I definitely did kind of, and uh, one thing I will say that while the reveal is kind of annoying, I will say that I did appreciate that when the soldiers he weirded out by BC's look, uh, Crispin definitely did a good job of making BC sound pretty fair boy, like, hey, but hey, what's the matter, don't you like this look? I was like, okay, you know what, that's pretty good. So, uh, so uh, yeah, and if we made it at least, like, slightly less spirit than it could have been. And again, there are some like, slightly less than ideal inferences you can make about uh, the crew wanting BC to go back to using the female voice when, he, uh, when BC rejoins them, but I just kind of take it as them accepting who she is now, and it's just, for two, maybe 20 years ago, I think it's, I appreciate they tried, but it's like, well, you know, not everything can be dirty fair, I guess, but 
which is still somehow the which is still somehow the only thing from like the eighties, which is like actually really good about that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. uh, but anyway, that is that, and uh, with that, we are going to move on to some of the men of this show. I wish there were technically only four of them, so we're going to be talking about three of them now. Cool. Okay, those three be that those three being Duello McFile, Bart Garces, and Robot. Um, I, I I thought it was like ro robot, but apparently it's more like rabbit or robot. I, I think all I know is he he looked like a fighting game character. That's the thing I remember like noting is that he looks like he's a Street Fighter character. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Bart is a bit of a lab map who ends up becoming the helmsman of the ship. And when I say helmsman, I mean he turns into a naked ship boy and becomes part of the ship, which is kind of the most amusing thing in the show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's also just kind of the show's butt monkey after a while. Uh, Duello is the ship's doctor who's a bit on the quiet side and just kind of enjoys discovering new stuff about his whole situation. And lastly, Ribot is a mysterious space merchant who shows up halfway through season one and seems to be familiar with both men and women, but that's because he's supposedly in league with the Earth and helps to sell out other planets to the Harvest, which is... And basically the Earth going around collecting organs from a bunch of clothing farms they set up across the universe. So basically just the promised Neverland in space. Uh, he's also... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's also probably... Uh, he's also probably a double agent because he does help out the Nirvana crew for reasons we don't learn about until the last couple of episodes. Uh, but anyway, playing Bart, we have Ron Allen... Uh, for Duello, we have David Lucas, and for Robot, we have James Leon. Um, Ron Allen has played his characters as Fumihiko Makabe and Fafner, Game Bijo and Overmatch Heat Guider, and Brandon Heat and Gun, aka Beyond the Grave from Gungrave. David Lucas has played his characters as Shin from Fist of the North Star, Char Asabal from Mobile Suit Gundam Trilogy, and Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop. Lastly, James Leon has played such characters as Mr. Miracle in Battle Battle Athlete's Victory, Big Ear in the Big O, and Hamgra in Immortal Grand Prix. Specifically, the old Immortal Grand Prix, not like not like the new one for production IG. Uh, and uh, if you're gonna tell from old David Lucas here, yes, these are old. These are all old aliases. So, Ron Allen is Kirk Thornton. Uh, James Leon is Robot. And, uh, look, if you don't know who David Lucas is at this point from me mentioning Spike Spiegel, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you might keep wondering why some guy named Steve just keeps taking credit for all his work. I do wonder about that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ruth, you want to send us off this time? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, do, 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 just pulling up the character names again. Um... I guess I'll start with Rabat, just because he really, of the three, he does the least amount of stuff. Um, he's mainly there just to um, antagonize Hibiki, to basically push him into being the man who is basically, he's basically pushing him to lead. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting dynamic he has with Hibiki. Um, but he just doesn't show up a lot. 
Um, I, I like the episode with the, um, with the people who could talk to spirits. Um, yeah, that definitely was the implication there. It was, it was a really strange episode, but I like the dynamic he had with, um, Richard Epcar's elder and I, I, I liked it, but there's really not a lot to rebut to talk about, except he's kind of snide and sarcastic. It's fun, it's just not enough meat on its bones. Um, Duero's kind of the same case a little bit, but he gets a little more to do. Um, I like... I mean, it's basically just um, Steve Bloom playing a character who's interested about how babies are made. Like it, it's it's fun. It's a little a little vapid, but I like it. Um, and Kirk Thornton as as poor butt monkey Bart. Ugh. This poor guy just... I mean... Uh, the funny part is, he kind of deserves it a lot of the time in the very beginning when you're introduced to him. In the beginning. Because he's like the he, smug... He, he's a scummy punk. salesman! He's a scummy salesman. But it takes... Trying to sell pills. It takes the episode on the planet where everybody's sick and a, being friends with a little girl who dies. Who made him a doll, but passed away before she could add hair to the doll. So he's just like, you know what? I'm going to shave my fucking head. I was like, that is simultaneously the dumbest, sweetest, and coolest development they could have given this character. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, like, it's not, like, they don't return to status quo with it. He shaves his head, and it is shaved for the rest he of the commits. show. He commits! He's bald now. He, he's also, like, got blonde hair, so he looks like what I imagined Super Saiyan Nappa would look like, where he's just bald, but he's just got the blonde eyebrows and the green eyes. Oh my god, he's actually a Super Saiyan baldy. <laughs> like, I... On, a, on an aside tangent, I remember uh, there was a, an internet meme picture that I, I really laughed at of um, Super Saiyan 3 Nappa, and it's just, his beard grew bigger. <laughs> oh god, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I really, I was really endeared to the character at the very end of the show when he mans up. Um... So, I mean, in terms of the guys, really solid performances all around. It's just, Bart is the only one who really gets to do anything. Okay, uh, Andrew? Um, so, um, I'll start with, uh, Jame, Jameson Price as Robot, who basically is just, he's kind of a sleazy salesman. Also thinks he's a bigger flirt than he actually is. Like, he's just trying to hit on all the beautiful dames that are around him. And also just trying to whip Hibiki's ass into be a, being a bigger, manlier man. To, um, varying degrees of success. Doesn't quite work out. 
Kind of gets his ass kicked. Also, he's just got a monkey. He's just got a monkey companion. Oh, you say, oh yes, he does have a monkey companion that is also somehow voiced by Kirk Thornton as well. Cool. Also, what? Also, why? Also, okay, sure, the monkey's here. Cool, it, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm, the I'm the not questioning it. it. Is it? Yeah, the monkey's here. The monkey has its own robot. That robot has, like, machine guns. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the monkey has a robot with machine guns. Just that phrase. Sure. That phrase. Sometimes you hear a phrase where you're like, this is why I watch anime. You're gonna see some dumb bullshit. And the dumb bullshit is this is a monkey wearing like a diaper. That is piloting a mech that just shoots fucking machine guns in space. Sure. Well, why not? That's the Van Dread way. That's the Team Die Van Dread way. More, more on that later. Jameson Price. He's very suave, kind of a jackass, but he's got a very fun personality and his design, like I look at him, he looks like a fighting game Street Fighter character to me. It's something with the hair and the eye patch and I don't know how to describe it, but Jameson's got a very, very discernible voice. You know who he is, but he does a very good job. He's got a very like gentlemanly jackass quality to him and I quite like that. Steve Bloom as hot Bishy, uh, doctor. He's Steve Bloom as the hot Bishy doctor. He's got great chemistry with Parfait. He's got, he's actually like a really good team player for the entirety of the Nirvana crew. He's just a cool dude. Everybody likes him. He's not being obnoxious. He's, he's not winning hearts, but he's just, he's just making friends. Okay, except for Parfait. He's, he's going to be licking the cherry on top of that real good by the time he's done with that parfait. <sighs> Anyways. Steve Corner. Bloom, he's got a very good... No, no, I still got to talk. I still got to talk. You can't now, get rid I'll, of it yet. It, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll let him have that one and only that one for today. Thank you, Jet. I appreciate it. Anyways, Steve Bloom. He's just Steve Bloom. He's doing a very good Dr. Dude voice. He's He's cool. He's hot and bishy, and I love how at the end of the show, uh, Parfait is getting super jealous because Jura's hugging up on him. Because by that point, Jura's not even hitting on any of the dudes. She's just really gonna miss them, and she's like, "I miss, I miss you guys already." Because she's just a sweet old like she. Jura's the wine mom. Jura's the wine mom. That's what her deal is. I can't unsee it. But yeah, no. Uh, uh, Piway. She's just really curious at the end once the guys are leaving and she just whacks his hair just because he's always covering one eye. They just had to know what the other eye looked like. And we never know what the other eye looked like. He's probably got like a sharring gun or something. I don't know. But yeah, no, Steve Bloom is Steve Bloom. He's Steve Bloom and he's fucking great at being Steve Bloom. Kirk Thornton as Bart. I did not care for this character for a while. He was kind of obnoxious. He was a bit of a, monk, a butt monkey. But Kirk Thornton does a good job sounding like a very good, like, douchey butt monkey guy. And then, yeah, no, suddenly, when they go to the planet where there's just a very sickly 
civilization and he befriends like a very sickly girl and it's actually a genuinely cute and sweet friendship he kind of becomes like a genuinely secret badass and actually very empathetic he's got really good moments i love his chemistry with the captain in bc because he's a butt monkey prisoner at first but it's clear they actually respect him and they actually really like him and consider him part of the crew not just because he's one of the he also i appreciate the fact that like in the fan service show where somebody goes into the goes into the digiverse and is fully naked and pilots the ship you don't have one of the women do that. You just have the one of three guys in the in the team who is just naked and flying the ship. I, I respect that. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yeah, I mean, I really don't show everything because, of course, I can't. But <laughs> you can't show dong. But what else is new? Anyways, it's just. Kirk Thornton, he's very fun as this very comedic butt monkey, but he's got some decent, like, dramatic meat to him, too. I was pleasantly surprised by that. And yes, he is so stupid, but also really cool when he shaves his head. Like, I thought that was actually really kind of a sweet, silly, but badass moment. And like, you know what? I'm very proud at the way that Bart has developed. He's still kind of a dumb bunk monkey, but he gets the one cool moment where he just laser blasts everything out of the way. And I'm like, you know what? You got your moment. I'm proud of you, buddy. Good job. Kirk Thornton did a good job. Okay. Uh, so I will actually start with Kirk as Bart. Uh, so Kirk Thornton's been a lot of stuff in the last couple of decades, playing everything from Grand Old Man to Assassins to Tony Figures. Uh, but one underrated aspect of his career is definitely him playing butt monkeys because he can be pretty good at that, and he's a lot of fun here. Uh, Bart comes from a supposedly prestigious family in Tarok, so from the moment he opens his bath, he's basically full of hot air, and Kurt does a really good job of making him think of a very pompous attitude, and his constant belief that he's the smartest person in the room, even when he's definitely not. But since he's kind of in the wrong show for that sort of thing, he just kind of ends up getting dumped on incessantly. And whether it's him trying to awkwardly dodge asteroids as a naked chip boy, or his awkward attempts to improve his standing with the other crew members, the show never ceases to remind you he's a big dork, and that just kind of makes him a lot of fun to watch. It's like, eh, but it definitely does. Uh, it's like, eh, but since he, but while he is comic relief most of the time, and Kirk doesn't get too many moments to be serious, uh, he does get a very nice moment again during the episode where he befriends a little girl who's from a planet where. Everyone was condemned to die from a virus because, again, that's definitely a 2020 mood right there, unfortunately. And uh, he does mm. a... Uh, yeah. And he does everything he can to help her, but it's not quite enough, and Kirk definitely gets his grief across pretty well. And again, I like the whole bit where he shaves his hand afterwards. I thought that was a pretty nice bit of character development. And again, I did like his dynamic with BC and how BC was kind of Clearly out of Bart's league the entire time. I thought that was over. I thought the whole dynamic was pretty fun. And again, I and again I appreciate that even and again I appreciate even when we got the whole reveal with BC, Bart wasn't like you. It was just it was it was just sort of yeah, like, yeah, I was in love with you and it's like, you know, you know what, like I I respect that at least I respect that at least didn't get too gross with that. And uh lastly okay. Yeah. And lastly for Rabat here 
Uh, so, as a fun fact, this is not really the first thing I ever heard Jameson Price in. Uh, at the time, I, I really liked how much his voice stood out because he gave Robot the perpetual energy of a used car salesman. And I think that more or less just kind <laughs> oh, of... Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but fuck, you're right. I think that basically just more or less describes this character. Uh, from the moment we, from, from we first meet Robot, it's very clear he's up to something. And while we don't know what that something is, and he's not about to let anyone be privy to what that something is, uh, Jameson does a pretty good job of just getting that energy across pretty well. And when we eventually find out that said something is just basically him, so got people to the earth, and you can believe he's pulling that kind of major hustle because Jameson just gives him the kind of energy of the sort of guy who would definitely do that. And when we find out he's a double agent, he definitely gives him a, he definitely gives him that kind of vibe too. Uh, it's sort of like if Han Solo and Leto Carician from Star Wars interviewed the dance with a very weird analogy, but that's kind of the closest comparison I can think of. Uh, because while he is kind of a sellout, we also get the impression that he kind of plays by his own rules. So again, it's not super surprising when he's a double agent and he kind of helps out the crew for the final battle. And again, I do sort of like his dynamic with Hibiki, where even if he is kind of an obvious combat, uh, he's the first person aside from he aside from BC to kind of haul Hibiki out for being all bark and nobody, then, you know, trying to be a man's man, and get to start thinking for himself, which I kind of liked. And although since Rabat is kind of a sellout, I do wish maybe he got a little more come up in since he's not the nicest guy, but, you know, I like Jameson's performance all the same, and I thought it was a lot of fun. It made me, it definitely made me a pretty big fan of Jameson Price ever since then, so I definitely did get a pretty good amount of mileage out of the performance. And uh, with that, we're going to start moving on to some of our central characters. Uh, for, so, uh, we, so we have uh, two of the members of PBT's quote-unquote harem plus Pioro because, well, uh, th uh, because, well, we'll get to why in a second. So for the not harem, we have Jira Basil Elden, uh, Meg Isborn, and again, Pioro. Uh, both Jira and Maya are two of the Dread pilots who confuse our Dreads with Hibiki's vanguard to form Vandred because, eh, that's simply not a metaphor for anything. Wait, what do you mean Hibiki's actually the bottom of one of these? It's totally not a metaphor for anything. Nope. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, I'm so here, folks. None at yeah, so anyway, Maya is kind of a historic one who leads all the Dread Pilots, and he doesn't get along so great with Hibiki at first. Uh, meanwhile, Jira is Jira is basically just kind of a very flamboyant, disaster bisexual, and she, well, she does seemingly pursue Hibiki because she thinks about making a baby with him will make her stand out for some reason. She's also just very clearly in a relationship with Barnett, and... Now that being said, I'm just kind of wondering if Barnett is just more sexual. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so, okay, so yeah, so Pure was originally some security robot that was in charge of watching Hibiki after he got arrested for sneaking on board a Tarak flagship in episode one. Uh, but it ends up getting possessed by the Pepsi system, which is, like, supposedly some kind of high, higher being from another dimension. It's, you know what, because anime, why not? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, so, yeah, so because of that, uh, Pioro gained sentience and basically just kind of ends up becoming Hibiki's Starkey robot companion. And he also just keeps trying to steal Ezra's baby away from her for some reason. 
that. So anyway, playing Jura, we have Melissa Wilmerson, who has played such characters as Erd from All My Goddess the Movie, uh, Nuriko and Fuyushi Yuki, and Julia and Cowboy Bebop. Uh, for Maya, we have Julie Pickering, who has played such characters as uh, Reiko Asagiri from Gamekeepers, Eve Furuta from Mount Hazard, uh, Sasuke Yoji and Sasuke Yoji and X. And uh, as for Kyoru, uh, well, initially I didn't tell Roots or Andrew who played it because I kind of wanted to get their live reactions, but they tried what they did, but it's a figure that shortly before recording. And I was like, eh, but, eh, but for dramatic, but I'm still going to be dramatic about it anyway, because why not? So playing Kyoru, we have one David Mallow, uh, who you would know best as playing Angemon from Digimon Adventure, Serenso from Joseph Bizarre Adventure, and the Anti-Spiral from Gurren Lagann. The fucking Anti-Spiral from Gurren Lagann. I... Okay, is it my turn? As I... Oh, uh, so, oh, uh, real quick for the sake of discussion. Uh, Melissa Wilmerson is Mary Elizabeth McGlynn and Julie Pickering is Julianne Hiller. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Cool, 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 cool. What? How the fuck is that the same voice that came from the fucking anti-spiral? How? What? Like, I was listening to it. It's like... It's almost like Monokuma-esque. Specifically, the Brian Beacock variant of Monokuma in this sort of goofy, whimsical, like, tone of voice. Because Pioro's basically like a shitty mascot. He's just a little tiny robot boy that looks like shit. And he's just got giant gaping eye holes on his, like, like 480p LCD monitor screen or something. Whatever. He's... He's lame. He sucks. He's a goofy cartoon character. How is this the voice of the Anti-Spiral, which is, like, one of the most, like, notable and, like, intimidating, piercing voices in, like, the last third of the Gurren Lagann dub? Like, the fact that this was, like, the same year, and I'm going to make some Gurren Lagann comparisons because it's kind of similar in a way, but, oh my god, the fucking voice of Pyoro is this little sassy goofy, unbelievable little shit gremlin who also just falls in love with, like, Ezra's baby and is like, yo, you are my child now. You will be Puro too, which... How do you think Ezra's wife felt where she got back from, like, being away from her woman for, like, a year and then there's suddenly, like, a two-foot-tall robot that's claiming dibs on your baby? <laughs> Like, that's gotta be a weird day for the Maury show, you know what I'm saying? Ah, <laughs> uh, definitely. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, holy shit, Dave Mallow. Like, I, I, I shouldn't, I probably should have actually finished with him. But I'm sorry, that's insane, that's unbelievable, that's genuinely one of the most, like, black magic things in this entire fucking dub. I still can't fucking believe it. It was only when he was possessed by the giant spear that I heard it just a bit. And I was like, was it something we did this year? It's like, it was on your anniversary episode, Andrew. I'm like, wait, 
Who the fuck from Gurren Lagann would- Oh my fucking god. Is that the fucking anti-spiral? And it was. Jesus Christ. Moving on to Mary Elizabeth McGlynn as Jura, the disaster bisexual who thinks- who really thinks that she wants to get laid, but the reality is she just wants to be a mom, and she's just- Like, I love how the whole thing is like, we're gonna confide, and it's gonna be great, and it's gonna be so awesome, and then it was lame and shitty, and it was a stupid-looking robot. It's like, yeah, yeah, that checks out. If you're gonna confide, confide because it's consensual on both parties, and you'll get something really good. Out of that if it's kind of one-sided you're probably not going to get something very good and memorable for both of you mary, mary elizabeth mcglynn is basically just a disaster ojo sama wine mom and it's great i love her fucking friendship with i love her friendship slash lesbian relationship with barnett they are very good pair they complement each other quite a lot is very much like she's just kind of crying and like lamenting and scheming and she's just like all right dear that's nice dear you have fun sweetie and it's just like just be very supportive of her bullshit shenanigans and just oh god mary is so fun as jura she's a disaster but she's actually a ton of fun and i actually really love her chemistry with some of the other characters maya I did not anticipate the stoic badass who th who thinks she has to do everything herself would turn out being my best girl, but guess what? May is my best girl of Vandred. It's also a very different Julianne Taylor than I'm used to because I'm used to a lot more high-pitched, high-energy Julies. And this is a much more subdued, calm, almost kind of docile in some ways, Julie. But I think it works really well for Maya. Because Maya's got like a pretty interesting character arc. Where that her mom her mom was kind of a docile woman. And her Oba slash the other mom was running a business that turned out to be super shady. And just left her as a kid. And that fucked her up where she thought she had to depend on herself and nobody else. Before she got picked up to be a pirate. And that turned out she was a natural... She was a natural combat leader, and everybody on the team really loves, admires, and respects her. Like, they're really sad thinking she's gonna die and pass away, because they're like, nobody's really thought to replace her, because she's just, she is the, the glue that holds us all together. And she's actually, like, really cool, really badass, has some fun character chemistries, will talk some sense into a couple of characters when they really need to hear it. And also, when she's, like, the episode where everybody's tiptoeing around her to try and plan the surprise party. And it's like, she kind of knows already, but she's just like, ah, whatever, I don't care. So to distract her, it's like, here, hold this baby for a day while we finish your party. And it's actually kind of like a sit, like, she's willing to sacrifice the baby over herself because she accidentally launches herself in a pod while there's enemies fighting. And it's actually like a sweet moment because she's like, I. Uh, like, you, uh, you might want to you might want to rephrase this statement. Wait, what? Uh, you said okay. You said okay. You said sacrifice the baby over itself. Oh, 
sacrifice herself <laughs> over the baby. Thank you for correcting me. That... Thank you for Oof. correcting me because she's she's she basically puts the baby in the spacesuit and she's willing to basically get thrown out in space so the kid can survive, and like that's noble. And like when she's freed and. The mom and Pioro are fighting over the baby who's crying. She just starts holding the baby, and the baby is peaceful because it's actually really sweet. It's actually really, really cute with her with the baby, and she has this really genuine, super sweet smile. I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, no, baby. She's so, she's so sweet. Oh, she's such a good girl. I thought she was going to have a lot more, like, Sundere crush on Hibiki than she actually did. Like, they're kind of just friends. There's really no sexual tension or fucking involved. They're just kind of friends who sometimes combine ships together. It's, it's, it's a casual relationship, but they make it work. Like, there's really no romantic sexual relationship with either of them. It's just, yeah, no. Keep, keep my family safe. You cool. But yeah, no, I really thought Julie's performance was a lot more subdued and emotional than I'm usually used to her. And she was really convincing as Maya, and Maya is best girl. And I'm done. Okay, uh, Rich? Cool. Um, I think I'm actually going to start with Maya. Um, it's just because of the basic three or four main harem girls, she's the one who kind of does less than the others. Um, I I liked her sort of icy, stoic personality that slowly melts away as she actually gets to know Hibiki. Um, I, I thought that was really nice. Um, the Her backstory was really well done as well. Um, and I'm also pretty sure that her mother was played by um, Mona Marshall, and I thought that was really good. Cool. Yeah, whatever the devil it was. Like, not not her Oma, her her actual, or her, the character referred to as her mother. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely Mona Marshall. Yeah, the Oma is basically the, the more... I don't think it's particularly, like, gender-rolled either. And, you know, I, I probably should have brought this up as we were talking about the show proper, but that's one thing I... When they do bring up the sort of lesbian-like relationships of the... of the, the women on the, the women planet, um, that sometimes there were clearly sort of feminine and masculine-esque couples, but it wasn't every, it wasn't one size fits all and I kind of like that. Uh, but that's that's an aside that I could probably I could probably BS an entire podcast episode on if I wanted to. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah, um I'm going to have to agree with Andrew that the standout performance of the character Maya is the, the episode where she's taking care of the baby and she accidentally launches herself. 
Like, that was, that was really good, and it really kind of showed the reluctant motherly side of the character. Um, overall good. Uh, do Jura and Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Um, I really like the comparison, um, Andrew made that she's basically this, um, this wine mom character. Um, I didn't actually think of it that way. But it was really good. Uh, I think the standout for me of her is... Um, uh, there are actually two. It's the scene with her and Barnett. The, the one I mentioned before where she slips the ring on her finger and kisses her on the cheek. Like that. It was a, it was a great little moment between the two. Um, and then also when she combines mechs with Hideki, and it becomes a giant crab, and she's sad, and she doesn't want to do anything with it, because it's ugly. Um, I thought that showed a lot of... The two scenes compared to one another showed the sort of dynamics of the character. And, um... I just like the fact that she's... She's... Her biological clock is ticking, but at the same time, she wants to have a baby with a man, but doesn't quite get the process of how you make a baby with a man. Um, I, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um, and now, Dave Mallow as Pioro, which I can describe in two words that Jet and Andrew are very familiar with. Bullshit. Bullshit, that is Dave Mallow. Yep. Um, it is so cartoony and over the top. Um, I loved it to death even before I knew it was Dave Mallow. Um, I wanted to keep it. I initially didn't want to know, and then curiosity got the better of me and I looked it up and I literally go into the group the Twitter group chat for the Vandroid episode and I'm just like bullshit while not revealing because I wanted to keep wanted to keep it from Andrew yeah, we tried so to keep he it. figured it out naturally yeah we tried to keep it in the dark as long as possible <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of glad you did I was just like wow really okay but it was so amazing it sounded like a combination of multiple voice actors none of them being Dave Mallow mind you um, and it is only when he when Pioro is completely possessed by the being inhabiting the ship that you actually I actually heard like vibes of Anjaman in there and I'm just like oh now I see it um, and that's always great with an actor. Um, so overall, I really like these three. Um, solid performances all around. Okay, um, so, our, so, so I'll start with Julius Bea, uh, because, uh, this was, uh, personally the performance I thought was, like, maybe a little rough starting out. Uh, so, uh, even considering that May is kind of supposed to be one of the more historic members of the crew, I thought her performance was like maybe a little 
stiff in the beginning, but I definitely thought she got better as the show went on, especially during like May's backstory where we learned a little more about how she didn't get along with her parents, like the whole incident that led to her kind of getting abandoned and getting picked up by the crew. I thought Julie, I thought Julie did a pretty good job of handling that whole scene, scene for the most part. And so, I mean, like I definitely, like I definitely have heard her, I definitely had heard her do better before, but I guess it was like fairly early on in their career, so maybe it was just about how she was directed. Uh, but I definitely, did, but I definitely did like her a lot more later on. I definitely liked how she passed off of Yuki's actor, where she definitely doesn't have like a whole ton of respect for him, and Julie Stone sounds pretty dismissive. But uh, after she starts to open up a little more, she starts like adopting maybe a little more of his mannerisms, and I thought they had like a pretty good dynamic going for them. And it's definitely pretty amused by the episode where she has to take care of Vance's baby. And I don't see he had a pretty funny reaction where he realized he just kind of bits it up and he just sort of plays along with it. And again, I definitely appreciate that despite this show having the most obvious parents of imaginable and even so and even with Maya being the top of their fusion, at no point in the show does Maya ever actually fall in love with Hibiki and their relationship is actually just totally platonic, which is kind of nice. And so I end up moving on to Dave Mallow's Pioro. Well, again, if you couldn't tell from the reactions, this is definitely not the kind of character we definitely associate Dave Mallow with. I'm used to him playing a lot of older, sometimes evil men. And I'm used to him having a very story tone from his voice. You're hearing him play this very animated, highly high-pitched little robot. It's just kind of a very weird 180. It's like, and uh, it's something kind of fun watching it, whether he's like... Being sarcastic or Hibiki for not knowing how to act around women, or you know him trying to hijack Ezra's role as the parent, which is always like pretty funny. And you can definitely tell Dave had a lot of fun with this role. And I definitely appreciate like a lot of the little quips he gets. I said I looked at this one bit where towards the end of the show where the whole crew's been captured, and like one of the soldiers kicks him on the way out, and you can just hear Vior muttering, "That was Bart, wasn't it?" Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's just yeah, so it's just little things like that I appreciate. And I also appreciate that he can also make Pioro sound like a typical robot whenever he needs to. And so Ed Dave does a pretty good robotic monotone while still maintaining Pioro's goofy voice. And while Pioro doesn't get too many opportunities to do to be serious, I guess Dave does a pretty good job of being across his occasional doubts about his existence. And it's just, it's just a very fun performance all around. Uh, but for me personally, my standard of this section is probably very Elizabeth McGuinn as Jira because, well, it's very Elizabeth McGuinn. I definitely heard her play a lot of cool, mature, and sultry ladies over the years, like the major ghosts in the show, or Kurenai and Naruto. And you can definitely hear, like, a little bit of that in how she plays Jira. Uh, but something that's kind of a little underappreciated about Mary as an actor is that she can also do comedy really well. And she was clearly having a lot of fun here as Jira. Uh, Jira is definitely the most flamboyant of the ladies on the ship and kind of desires to stand up in any way she can. So when she finds out about her dread being able to combine with Hibiki's band card or that men and women could make babies, he just sort of sees it as an opportunity to show off and so and I just really appreciate and I just really appreciate how well Mary gets across a lot of her chaotic energy. So, and, and Mary just really brings a lot of quality ham to a lot of her interaction with the rest of the crew. As well as the as well as the some occasional sultriness whenever she's trying to seduce Hibiki to achieve her goals. But again, as mentioned before, she, while she does see Hibiki as some kind of weird means to get ahead, she's not really that interested in him outside of that. 
I'm simply curious that Barnett is the one who means the most for her, and I definitely like their whole cute little relationship. Uh, even if it definitely is mostly just Barnett doing a press and give up an old zero to shenanigans. Uh, but of course, this is his, so Mary Elizabeth Lynn we're talking about, whenever she needs to be serious, she can definitely pull that off too, and as flighty as she can be at times, she, she also definitely doesn't like anyone else telling her what to do, and I think Barry gets on across pretty well. And I also like that, well, that as much as she occasionally butts in with Dina when put came to show, she kind of put her foot down and helped her and he began to get together that whole, in that whole weird love travel episode. Which, for as annoying as that episode was, I do definitely just appreciate the image of all the women on the ship just watching it like a soap opera. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Mary was a lot of fun. I liked all the performances a lot. And with that, we are good to move on to our final two characters of the evening. Uh, for that, we would have our protagonist, Kibiki Tokai, and our heroine, uh, Dita Limley. Uh, so, Hibiki is a young boy from the slot of Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Jet, 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 Jet. I'm going to have to stop you. That is not his name. That is not his name. You know what his name is. What's his real name? Uh, uh, Mr. Alien. There we go. Tell us more about Mr. Alien. Okay, so he's a young boy from being slumped to Taraku, wanted to show off to his friend that he could bring back one of the Vanguard backs, and then ended up on a prisoner in a pirate ship, because, well, why not? Uh, he's a wee bit of a hothead, and by wee bit I mean a whole lot. And, uh, he's defending on a quest to find the quote-unquote proof of his existence. Uh, Dita, on the other hand, is a drug pilot who is part of the Lady Space Pirate crew and is really into the idea of UFOs and aliens. Um, so when she meets Hibiki, who is an alien from her perspective, she mostly just spends a lot of time chasing him around. So, playing Hibiki, we have Tony Oliver, who... As a prize twist compared to all the other actors in this show, he was credited as Tony Oliver for the second half of the show, but for the first half of the show, he was actually credited under his real name, being Raphael Antonio yeah. Oliver. Which, you know what? Sure, I think that that makes sense, given this was around the time he probably was... I don't know why he changed it midway through, but yeah, Tony Oliver's real name is Raphael Antonio Oliver, which is his name. Yeah. Um, and Dina is played by Julie Madalena. Uh, so the Oliver has played such characters as Okior and Bleach, Harry McDowell and Gungrave, Minato Kamekaze, aka the Fourth Hokage and Naruto, Lancer and Fate Stay Night of the Limited Playworks, and Arsene Lupin III in the Mega Light TV adaptions of Lupin III. Uh, Julie Madalena, you'll probably know more for directing stuff these days, uh, but she's also played such characters as Momo, Kagodare and Ai Tachimoyo, Sarah McDougal and Love Hina. Uh, one of the Tatsukobas and Ghost of the Hill Sentinel Complex, Ikaru Shindo and Medical Knight Rayearth, and weirdly, my in the Bang Zoom dub of Dragon Ball Super that aired in Asia. Huh! Hmm. Cool. Yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a thing. So, uh, would you like to set us off, Andrew? You know what? I'll let Roots start us off on this one, actually. I'd say that. Okay. Okay, Roots. Okay, uh, so Tony Oliver is Hibiki. I'm sorry. Hibiki. Um, Gotta go for it at least once, don't you? I, I had to do it at least once. 
Um, because the show kind of awkwardly goes through his name, like, a lot. Ah, you can tell this 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 stuff was made in the 2000s. And weirdly, it was, of all the sort of Japanese names in the show, his seemed to be the only one that they kind of butchered, and I find that funny. Um... But yeah, uh, Tony Oliver gave him sort of a, gave him a really nice haughty personality. He, he's gung-ho, spunky, and then toward the tail end of the first core, um, he witnesses an absolute massacre that changes him as a character. Um, he tries to be more of a man after that point, and, you know... As an anime protagonist, you kind of anticipate the sort of mixed results that follow. Um, I thought Tony Oliver did a pretty good job conveying that growth. Uh, especially... You know, especially because this is sort of an older dub and, you know. Uh, where are my thoughts? Where are my thoughts um a standout moment for him i would say um as i mentioned before it was toward the tail end of the first core um he gets rescued by a fleet of ships fleeing the sort of um harvester ships uh and they all get massacred and he witnesses all this go down and he returns to um Oh god, what was the, the the name of the actual ship? Um the uh, the Nirvana. Thank you, the Nirvana. He comes back to the Nirvana kind of messed up and like that was It was a bit of a tonal shift for the show and I think Tony Oliver it was able to handle that pretty well. Now, Julia's Dita is it's interesting. Um, this is a name I am not particularly familiar with, even though I would, I might be familiar with her voice from other things if they were brought to my attention. Um, I know I haven't personally seen Aitenshi Muyo yet. Uh, she, she played it with a lot of bubbly energy, which I thought was great for the character. Uh, really not much to say about her, um trying to find like a really nice moment that I think solidified the dub performance and I want to say that is the um you know what I'm going to say the Christmas episode um where everybody's kind of getting together to to celebrate Christmas which is weird because the captain is is Santa Claus and like the 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 women draw like little Santas on the ship with, like, a beard, and it's like, are they aware that that is a, that's a a guy? A man? I don't know. I I thought it funny. Um, But she's desperately trying to get Hibiki's attention, and does a whole bunch of things, and gives him this little toy of a, of a, of Santa on a UFO, and it was really cute. Um, 
so yeah, I I actually really did like both of these performances. I just wish I had a little bit more to say. Okay, that that's fair, Andrew. Um, I'll start with Julie as Tita, who's I, I've actually am familiar with her from having watched a bit of Chopitz earlier this year, and yeah, she's got a very cutesy moe leading girl like Genki personality. She's a little ditzy, she's a little goofy, she's silly, but she can also be a little emotional and easily hurt when she's getting, like, ignored or her feelings are getting trampled over. But it's just, it's just, wow. Like, she's, she's a little much. And, like, I'm not sure I always like her calling him Mr. Alien, even when it's pretty serious, but it was kind of worth it. For the long con, where it's like she's about to sacrifice herself, when he's just, when he's just like, finally, I love you, Hibiki. I'm like, okay, okay, that was kind of worth it. And it's like, you know what, they, they, they had a cute little thing at the end. I'm like, oh, I think Julie's got a very good tone of voice that you needed to get for Dita, and I think she nails it pretty perfectly. Tony Oliver as just spiky, spunky, uh, shonen lead character. Because that's the thing, is that Vandred is just a super secret shonen anime, and you didn't even know it. You thought you were gonna get titties, but you actually got shonen power of friendship, motherfucker. And Tony's great. Tony's great. He does a great job being this spunky, bratty, know-it-all kid who wants to be more than the sum of his parts. But he also wants to find himself. He has a literal soul-searching episode, like he's in Yu Yu Hakusho or something. He's basically trying to feel, do the impossible, and see the invisible like a Gurren Lagan. Like, the finale is almost straight up like a Gurren Lagan. It's so strange. But I think Tony's got the right level of charm, goofiness, emotional depth, and spunk. That really needed to make Hibiki shine in... Like, I feel like Hibiki would be kind of lame most of the time. And Hibiki is kind of lame. But he's a charming lame. And the show knows he's charming. And I think he's much more charming and sincere than he is, like, lame and vanilla harem protagonist. And I think Tony does a great job selling and convincing me of that. And I think he's great. Okay, um... So I'll also start with Julia Theta since while she typically is around in the industry, uh, it's just more behind her booth, uh, which is typically a lot like Julia Oliver's these days. Uh, but yeah, the only other role pairs I'm really all that familiar with, uh, well, besides Itachi Kumas and Ghost of the Show, which are kind of interchangeable, uh, probably is like that bit in two bits, but this is the thing I kind of associate her the most with. Uh, but I think he does a pretty good job here. And especially considering the whole, like, super peppy boy voice thing wasn't really perfected until, like, the late 2000s. I think he did a really good job of kind of getting across Dina's constant pep and energy and making it feel generally pretty sincere without getting overly grating. I mean, of course, a lot of uh, Dina's antics are really just changing Hibiki around. A lot of how you can really buy to that dynamic was that depending on Julie's performance, and I thought she did a really good job of selling Dina's general curiosity about Hibiki, since, again, he's kind of an alien from her perspective. And, you know, turning that, uh, turning that interest into something a little more, even if she could maybe sit here to dial it down a little bit. And it comes whenever Dina's ditzy attitude starts to get maybe a little too annoying. And she gets, like, a, general, a good moment or two to show her optimism just kind of 
you know, her way of sharing whatever little concerns she's having. And I thought that, and I kind of like how she's always kind of the first one to try rally the crew together whenever they're at their lowest. I thought that was really sweet. And uh, I thought that Joey did a really good job of making all that feel heart, feel pretty heartfelt. And again, I could see where her sick could get kind of annoying, but I liked Dina, and I thought that Joey delivered a pretty solid performance. And as for Tony Oliver's he became uh, Lane Jameson Price, this was actually the first thing I'd ever heard Tony Oliver in, or at least as far as stuff I would actually recognize. Uh, so next to being the primary Lupin voice, it's the sort of role I kind of most personally associate with him, for better or worse. Tony uh, has a pretty solid vocal range, while we don't see like a whole ton of his acting work these days, unfortunately. Uh, he can do a lot of characters, uh, but there isn't like too much of him voicing teenagers besides this and maybe like him being bat in the old Fist of the North Star dub. And it's kind of a shame because he can actually do teenagers pretty well. Uh, Hibiki is kind of loud and obnoxious and kind of a twan, especially in a lot of the early episodes. And Tony gets that attitude across pretty well where it's pretty easy to set him off. And it's just kind of funny watching him bounce off the other characters, whether it's him trying to deflect the advances of his not harem. Or the adults like the captain and Gosco just kind of messing with him because he's sort of dumb. And Tony's delivery can flip pretty well between his constant annoyance and never quite being able to read the room. And I thought that was a lot of fun. And there's definitely a lot of the form in regard to his whole dynamic with Dina. And while you can tell he's kind of quick to try to get rid of her later on, he, and he cares a little more than he lets on and he definitely softens up a little bit. And it's clear through Tony's performance that he cares a lot about her, even if he'll never admit it because he's kind of assumed to write, which, which again, considering this could have been a weird harem show, I at least appreciate that hey, he's a pseudo in this case, that's kind of amusing. So, uh, but of course, um, as much as TVK can be kind of loud and dumb, there's, uh, there's more that Tony has to portray with the character, especially when it comes to, like, Hibiki always trying to prove how much of a man he is while also trying to kind of hide the fact that he sees himself as kind of a loser and, you know, how he's just sort of mostly putting up a front. And when he gets called out a lot, called out on that a lot, he kind of keeps searching for the whole beating of his existence. And, well, he's kind of a little turned in the beginning. I kind of did a pretty good job of kind of, he kind of improves as he goes along on the voyage to kind of sees more. And kind of experiences more inside of what he was thought originally, and he, he improved a little bit, and while neither he nor Tony's performance never quite drops the attitude, and he's, he starts to get a little more endearing, and he goes from being desperate to stand up on his own, to kind of being more willing to open himself up to others, and trying to help the people he cares about, and I thought, I thought it was a nice little character arc, and I thought that Tony handled it pretty well. Only his, his wide reads can maybe be a little flat every now and then, and there's a couple businesses where you can tell he might be straining his voice a bit to make he became sort of a teenager, but I definitely thought he hit all the right tones where he needed to, and I think the performance holds up pretty well for the most part, and I thought he did a pretty good job as the lead here. And with that, uh, we're actually good to move into the final thoughts. So, uh, Andrew, would you like to go first? Sorry, what did you say? Oh, sorry, uh, sorry. Yeah, we're on final thoughts, dude. I'm a little tired right now. I'm sorry. I wasn't sure if you said me first. Okay. Final thoughts? This is a weird show, but I was more entertained than I think I was expecting to be. It's definitely early 2000s. The CG is jank. And it's a little... Not every plot point is as strong as the others. Like, the fucking coup at the end of season one and the goddamn, like... 
love triangle soap soap stuff was dumb and the everything with bc's reveal like why but this is a much more earnest enjoyable shonen pulp 2000s gonzo joint than i anticipated and the dub's still pretty good for the most part not every performance is great but the ones that there's some that still stand out and i still cannot goddamn believe that's dave mallow i had a fun time with this and you know what I'm glad I could revisit this one with you, and I could finally, finally watch the show you bought me like two or three years ago for Christmas. Thanks again, bud. Oh, no problem. Uh, Roots. Yeah, this is, um, it's definitely a dub that shows a little bit of its age. Um, it holds together a little better than I expected it to. Um, that said... The CGI mechs are very jank, um, and the show definitely shows its age in other places, particularly in its plot points and that one particular twist. I would still probably recommend this just as a, um, it's sort of a time capsule of the year 2000 in terms of anime. Um... It's a fun show. It definitely, um, it definitely has high and low emotional points. Um, it flows very well. Hibiki has a great character arc. Um, it's a fun time, and I. It's not one of my favorite shows, but I definitely had a lot of fun checking this out. Uh, cool. Uh, as for me, so, hey, and so, again, this is a show I kind of kept up with over the year, that I've kind of come back to every now and then over the years. And it's something I have, like, a pretty good amount of sentimental attachment for. As I, uh, like, it's simply got a, like, uh, it's simply got a lot of flaws, and it's, it's simply shown its age in certain areas, which, and uh, it's definitely certain points that I really feel probably would have been done better this year was, uh, done in the modern day, but but say, eh, but say, eh, but it definitely is something I have, and it definitely is something I have a lot of fun with. It's um, it's like eh, it's not it's not perfect, but it's it's a pretty it's a pretty fun little space rock, but I think the dub holds up pretty well for the most part. Uh, it's like a lot of perform a lot of performances here are totally perfect, but it's like, eh, but there's a lot of fun here, and I think. And it's simply pretty easy to see why a lot of these characters, why a lot of the actors here are still around the industry. Um, so, um, so, so, uh, with that, we're, uh, we're mostly ready to wrap up here. So, uh, thanks for joining us. And if you want to hear a little more about uh, what we generally do here, we are the Dunk Talk Podcast. You can find us on Twitter. Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Tumblr are basically... Hang on, so we do not actually have a Facebook yet. That could be something we could do at some point, but right now we do not... We have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have a Tumblr, and we have a Twitch. That's what we got for sure. Yeah, Tumblr's dead, though. Tumblr's dead, and we like to make fun of it. We like we just like to say that we have a Tumblr just because it's fun to say that we have a Tumblr. It's like, hey, it it's kind of like saying say. you have a my. It's like saying you have a MySpace page, you know. It's fun to say that. But yeah, if you guys think it's a good idea for us to have a Facebook page, let us know. We might do it. You never know. Wink, wink.
yeah, uh, so, so, uh, so yeah, so if you would like to support anything we, so anything we do here, we have, so, uh, we have a Kofi where you can do one-time donations, and we also have, so, and we also have a Patreon where you can do monthly donations. And before we wrap up here tonight, I'd like to uh, do a quick shout out to some of our patrons, our five-dollar pair patrons: Michelle Travis, Rockwood Scorzo, Nico Robert Buffett. Yowie Heads and Victor Marbona. And our $10 dear patrons, Carly Lessacow, Christian Akinda, Jake Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Marissa Linty, and Otaku Anthony. Thanks a lot, guys. You're also thanks to you guys that we actually now have like audio versions of our podcast too. So if you want to take us on the go, we do have Spotify and Apple Podcasts thanks to our RSS feed on Podbean. Thanks a million, you guys. You're beautiful people. We love your faces. Yep. And uh, real quick, is there anything you two would like to plug? Um, my name is Andrew, aka Classy Spartan. You can find me on Twitter over at Mangaman9000. I'm a regular on this podcast, as well as another anime podcast with you, Jet. Uh, I'm a regular guest on... I'm basically a regular, not even a guest, a regular on... Uh, Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where we discuss the latest and greatest in anime news. That's what I do. Uh, Roots? Yeah, so I'm Roots of Justice. You can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice. I mainly retweet cute animal pics, talk general fandom. Good time. You should come on over. Have a have a nice conversation. Um, I'm working on a solo podcast and reviews. Um, that's all stuff in the in the works. Hopefully, I can have something ready to go before the end of the year. We'll see. Uh, cool. And uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at DivineDega, where I'll usually just be talking about anime news or cartoons or comics or like whatever. I can also find me on my blog, Animes Infinity, where I will sometimes write things if I feel like it. And as Andrew mentioned, you can also find me on another podcast, Podcast OA, where we will usually just be talking about anime news and stuff. So, uh, wait for that, we're basically done here. Thanks for joining me tonight, guys. No, uh, this hey, was, this this was, was a lot of fun to do an episode with you two. Yeah, this was great. Like all good I, people. I, I love watching the show. Um... May not have been my my initial cup of tea, but it, it was it was fun. It definitely grew on me, and I'm definitely glad you convinced me to finally watch it. Oh, and I'm cool. just here for the giant robots, janky uh, giant robots. The janky 2000s PS1 era CG robots. The jank bless makes their it heart. Better. Uh, okay. Uh, when you try your best, but you don't succeed. <laughs> Lights will guide you home. Otaku on, right. Dev Daba. All right. Good night, everybody. Otaku on.